Welcome back to Movie Change Up, the ultimate movie podcast where we put two movie-loving opponents against each other, pitching crazy remakes of reboots we love or we hate or maybe we totally forgot about. This week it might get pretty spicy because we're doing all comic book movies, and more than one pe- more than one person on this podcast has some intense comic book movie feelings. <laughs> so. Thankfully, I'm not facing this alone. I'm bringing in a co-judge, uh, Bobby, off a narrow defeat last week, coming in to judge with me. How are you feeling, Bobby, especially about this uh, topic this week? Feeling pretty good. I mean, this is this topic definitely gets some heat, especially online a lot of the time. So I hope we do end up having a lot of fun. But... Uh-oh. Bad start. You've already been attacked by a supervillain. Yeah, apparently. But no, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. It should be fun. Yeah, it should be fun. We've got two pretty intense competitors this week. Uh, we've got one and one going a clean even coming in here trying to either go positive or negative. He calls himself the co-founder of the show. He's basically that tall dude that blocks you in the movie theater. And his name is Joe Fricky. How do you feel coming into this episode, Joe? I'm pretty nervous. I mean, comic book movies are a strength of Johnny's, and he's, you know, he's a powerhouse. He hasn't been defeated since episode one when I defeated him, and he's been on like an 11 game win streak, counting like last season and this season ever since. So I have a lot of work cut out for me, but I have one advantage on my side, and that's I had nothing to do all weekend except work on my pitches. So, and I worked on my pitches a little bit today. So, ready to go, ready to fight. I think I'm well prepared. I think Johnny should be a little bit more scared than normal, so that's all I have to say. Yeah, I definitely hope Johnny is scared. I don't want to play my hand too early, but I'm definitely not happy seeing Johnny on this allegedly undefeated win streak. You know, I'm sure there's some some contested wins out there. We'll see what the judges, what they say. They're in recount right (laughs) now. (laughs) Last week, I'm not sure, but we'll see. All right, Johnny, you're undefeated, supposedly, basically. You've lost to Joe, though. So how do you feel coming into Joe on this episode right here? You know, I'm, ex- I'm excited. Um, I think this is a good mix of comic books that both of us um, are knowledgeable, knowledgeable about, but also ones that maybe we weren't so familiar with. Joe might have had a little more research time than I did because um, I work in a restaurant and we went up to back up to 50% on Friday. So this is one of the busiest weekends in a year. So I have not had a lot of time to work on these, but I basically any amount of time I did have, I put into my pitches. So I'm excited to see what comes through. Joe, the amount of time he had, maybe he overthought some things and uh, or me who uh, maybe had less preparation time, but I'm passionate about all my movies today. Yeah, we have a lot of good movies today. Uh, like we mentioned before, we compete against each other doing pitches, and there's seven movies that they have to pitch, and there's seven rules that they have to follow. One move, one rule for each movie. And like I mentioned, it's all comic book movies this week. So I'll run through the movies we're doing, and then we'll have my co-host Bobby come in and run through their options for rules. So the first movie is the infamous Batman and Robin from 1997. The second is the not-so-infamous, but still not-quite-good, Constantine from 2005. Another not-quite-good one, Green Lantern, 2011. If you want to see my thoughts on that, check out the Movie Change Up TikTok account. I did a quick chaotic review of that chaotic movie. Number four, we have Jonah Hex. Number five, The Phantom, a movie I didn't even really know about until this episode. 
So not not infamously bad like the other ones, so I'm curious. Number six, Venom, a recent movie. People like it, people don't. Not quite as hated. And X-Men First Class from 2011, the only one on here that's pretty much universally liked. So we have a lot of upward momentum here in these remakes. And Bobby, if you want to go through the rules that they had to apply for each of these movies, go ahead. Yeah, and if, if I start cutting out, you might have to pick me up on this one until later. But uh, rule number one, we have one must use a comic book character from another studio or publisher. Uh, one must be a short film. One must be an 80s movie. One must be a foreign film. You must put an actor on the map. All right. All righty. Yeah, we'll keep Bobby <laughs> short today. Yep, number six is one must be a period piece. I think Bobby's internet went back to period piece times for a moment. Yep. And the last rule is that one must be told villain's perspective. But we had a little caveat on here saying that if you use Venom, you're a cheater. So you have to use something else that's not Venom. And and it's right. funny because as I was doing these, I'm like, man, Venom actually has a lot of villains in his stories that you could have done something interesting with, but I didn't want to uh, go route, you know. So I like what I did. But that is uh, speaking of which, what we are starting with today, and I'm going to make Joe go first on Venom. All right. Um, jump in if you want to. I do. Um, second, my computer lag for a second. Yeah, Venom. I can't, but you can go for it. Uh, 2018's Venom, 29%. Investigative journalist Eddie Brock, played by Tom Hardy, loosely good, not quite good in this, emerges with an alien Venom, leaving him with superhuman strength and power. Twisted, dark, and fueled by rage, Venom tries to control the new and dangerous abilities that Eddie finds so intoxicating. All while hunting down corrupt businessman Car Carlton Drake, played by Riz Ahmed, who's also usually normally good, not in this. The symbiote as a character first appeared in 1984, but Venom would make his debut four years later in 1988's Hallmark episode, Amazing, Sp Amazing Spider-Man number 300. What do you got for Venom? All right, let me just start off by saying my director is a little bit of an up-and-coming director. His name is uh, Panos Cosmatos, who directed the movie Mandy. I feel like he can give us a, the vibe I kind of want with the Venom movie. And then for the rule, uh, I'm just going to start with that. The rule I used is I'm going to put uh, an actor on the map and to play, and that is to play the role of Eddie Brock. And the actor I chose is, chose is Glenn Powell, who is in Everybody Wants Some, Hidden Figures, and he's going to be in Top Gun Maverick. And I feel like he kind of fits the vibe and tone of what I would want from Eddie Brock. So, you know, for my pitch, I wrote, I'm going to borrow from the uh, planet of the symbiote storyline. In my story, after being accused of making up the story that lowly photographer Peter Parker is Spider-Man, Eddie Brock is fired from his job at the Daily Bugle. Unsure of what to do with his future, uh, Eddie ordered the symbiote away from him. The screams of pain yelled out by the symbiote during their excruciating separation process is heard by the symbiotes throughout the galaxy. The symbiotes head for Earth, and after be beginning to ravage the planet, Eddie decides that whether he likes it or not, he is Venom, and he has to stop the other symbiotes from destroying Earth. It's a story about sometimes it's not about what you want to do, but what you have to do. Uh, you know, like I said, I think Glenn Powell is on the verge of being an A-lister and has a personality that fits uh, Eddie, and the tone of Mandy is what I want to go for. I think it fits Venom and what its own version of Venom should be, and that's my pitch. All right, good pitch from Joe. Let's see what Johnny's got for Venom. 
No, we matched up on uh, on one thing there. We are using the same rule, but I did not choose uh, the same person. So my Venom movie will be directed by Andrew, er, Andy Muschietti, who did the It movies and Mama. Um, and my Eddie Brock is the actor I'm putting on the map. He is a man named Jacob. If you've ever seen Euphoria, he plays Nate Jacobs in that show. He has the look. He has the acting ability. He's never really starred in any big movies. Um, and he really looks like Eddie Brock to me. And, and you know, he kind of can play the um, the handsome, you know, good guy and like an evil villain like the show he kind of portrays. So I like him for my choice, putting him on the map in the starring role. Um, and then I'm just going to kind of give you a list of my characters that are going to be in my movie. It'll make more sense once I give my pitch. Um, I have a character named Ashley. That's Eddie Brock's girlfriend. That's going to be played by Maya Hawk, who was in uh, Stranger Things and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I have a character named Dexter that we played by Mason Gooding, who is in Booksmart. Um, I have a character named Cletus. He is uh, played by Owen Teague, um, Patrick Hockstetter in It, uh, in the It movies. Um, I have a character named Shashan, who uh, is Isa uh, Briones, who was in Star Trek Picard and American Crime Story. Um, I have a character named Betty, who's going to be played by Sammy uh, Henrati, who was in Shameless. And then my last character that I named is Leo, and that's going to be played by Trezo Mahoro, who was in uh, To All the Boys I've Loved Before and Magicians. So all of my actors are college age because my movie takes place at college. My movie is going to take place um, where Eddie uh, and his girlfriend Ashley go to a frat party at the University of San Francisco. And that is where uh, the symbiote known as Venom is going to take over Eddie uh, in the middle of this party. And it for and it makes him become the monstrous creature known as Venom. Sorry, um, my film is a horror movie uh, where a group of students try to stay alive while they're being hunted down by the man-eating Venom. The film ends with Eddie showing some control and stopping Venom from eating his girlfriend Ashley. This is where you start to see that Eddie can fight the super evil nature of um, of Venom. But this is a flip on horror films that follow the innocent characters that are being attacked. Instead, I'm going to follow. Eddie struggling with, you know, fighting back against Venom and slowly being taken over by him um, and his man-eating agenda. So there are going to be some brutal kills. He's going to eat people's heads like Venom should. It's going to be R-rated. You're going to see all the things that you wanted to see in the shitty Tom Hardy movie, but they cut away from it um, because the studio chickened out and didn't go for an R-rated movie. Um, so he tries to fight it. He ends up killing most of the other students. The only survivors are Ashley and Cletus. Um, when trapped in a room with Shashan, at one point, Cletus stabs her and pushes her into the hallway for them to feed while he escapes. And this sets up the serial killer that Cletus Cassidy, a.k.a. Carnage, will become. Um, so mine is the first, basically, of what I would say is a trilogy where it would be the first movie is Venom showing his true evil nature. The second movie is Eddie having a little more control. And the third movie would Eddie being the full like anti-hero good guy venom and carnage would be the main bad guys so this is kind of setting that up but it's a good standalone movie on its own that's kind of the direction i want with it because i think with venom it's been lost over the years that he was a he's like a truly terrifying character in the books and i really wanted to um embrace that aspect so i went um and that's why Andy muschietti i think will do a good job because he would did such a fantastic job of pennywise and it showing off that villain so there's my film all right, I like them both, uh, Bobby. Since you pissed the you picked this movie, yeah, I pissed on this one. Yeah, yeah, we, we all pissed on this one. 
Uh, Bob, if you want to have any questions for him first, uh, go for it. Yeah. Um, for Joe, I just kind of want to know, uh, like your your symbiotes that are coming, that like the aliens coming down. How are you going to differentiate them from Venom? Like, what are, uh, as far as visually and kind of, um, you know, if they're going to have personalities, just because the first one had when like symbiotes fought with Venom and whatever Rizomad's character was, it was kind of just a mishmash of goo. Oh yeah, for mine, number one, they're gonna like just have different colors and you know, different, like you said, different personalities, slightly like an overall similar shape, but a different um, kind of like face looking thing and like slightly different sizes. Like I'm gonna, or, like as far as like, especially like the recent Travis Knight Transformers movie, like they were all cars, but they were all like designed differently and had different looks. But at the end of the day, they were all like giant cars fighting each other. Okay. Um, and I don't think I really need to hear anything specific from Johnny. Um, I'm pretty split. I like both pitches. That is just the one question I had because of the first one. Yeah, I don't have many questions for Johnny either, but I do have one question for Joe. You mentioned going for Mandy vibes, and I'm a big Mandy fan, so if you want to get a chance now to go into a little bit of how Mandy's vibes are in your movie. I mean, yeah, like I said, it's like, you know, you have the crazy, like, derangedness over the top you know, of Venom, of, like, and, like, that, and, like, the brutal kills and the brutal fights, and, you know, like, just, like, exactly how many is. Like, I watched it late last night and to make sure that's the vibe I wanted to go for, and, like, the brutalness and the craziness and over the top, and that's what I want to go for, because that's what Venom should be. All right, I like that answer. I'm excited to hear you guys fight it out. Uh, since, Johnny, you got to go first, uh, have you go first on the arguments? You say I'm going first. Yeah, you um, go ahead and go first. So here's here's my main fight against Joe. Um, I think his storyline is a great storyline in the comics, but my problem with a lot of, especially some of these characters that have never really been put to, to justice on screen, is when they try to do them like the other Venom movie that came out. They try to do things too big. That is that is way too big of a storyline to throw at Venom for basically what is like a reboot of his origin. If he was an already established character that we've seen done well, you know, and you're just like, okay, I'm rebooting it. Like Batman, you can do whatever story you want. You already established his character. But every time they try to introduce like a, like Green Lantern and all those characters, a lot of the movies that we are talking about today, their problems are they tried to go with some of the biggest stories from the book and failed at it. You know, if the first X-Men movie was dark phoenix it would have failed and that franchise would have been killed immediately and i feel like you basically chose with um planet symbiote basically like the dark phoenix of venom comics and that's why i grounded mine i like to focus on just the characters and make it more of a character piece instead of this huge movie um i just think characters get lost in that mix when you when you have that yeah i disagree because i think like in that in my movie you can take that story and focus on the character of Eddie Brock and focus on the character of Venom because like the idea behind my movie is like after he gets fired you know after his whole thing with Spider-Man he decides I don't want to be like Venom anymore like it's fucking up my life you know he you know it's ruining my life so he's like I don't want to be that anymore and then when all of the symbiotes attack Earth that's when he's kind of like I have to like no matter whether I like it or not I am Venom I have to be the one to do this. I have to be the one to fight them. And you can still focus on the character of Venom and the character of Betty Brock as the other um, symbiotes attack. Like, we see that a lot in superhero origin stories where, you know, it's their 
character and they're fighting like a slightly different version of their character whether it's like black panther and killmonger or even like bruce wayne and Ra's al ghul and batman begins and a lot of other origins you know doctor strange and you know whoever it's so i feel like having venom take on these other versions of the symbiote suit you know the other symbiotes it's still but that's that's literally exactly what they just did in the in the Tom Hardy movie. You had the other symbiotes come down. You had those as the villains. You had the five other symbiotes that they took from. I, I think the problem is you're pulling a little too much from something that didn't work already. And I'd rather see Venom done. I didn't love Split, but I loved what they were going for. Um, but more people love that than me. I kind of want to do that with Venom. And I think that's an interesting way to establish who is essentially a villain in the comics. I don't want to have superhero eddie brock right off the bat trying to save the planet i want to show how evil venom is and the struggle that eddie goes through um not wanting to become this not wanting to kill his friends not wanting to eat people and stuff like those are always the best parts of venom comics for me and that's what makes the character interesting i like the the dynamic and when it's not played up super comedically i think he's a super dark character venom's done a lot of really dark things in the books um, even like reanimating corpse to basically have sex with them. Like Venom is a really dark character at the heart of a lot of his uh, stories. So I want to go with man-eating Venom, um, terrorizing this frat party, and you can focus more. It doesn't have to be super low budget, but you can focus all the budget on making Venom look perfect. Um, and, you know, the rest of it can just be shot however you want it. I don't need this movie to be thrown together and a studio failing to make like this $250 million movie because they want symbiotes coming down from space and this big, huge act of trying to save the planet. And I think when those things happen, and especially when it's not like sequels, like your movie would work if it was the third one down the line from my movie. But I think mine is a better um, like first film that we're really getting a sight of a good character that's never been done before. Like, well. Yeah, I think my problem with your movie is if it's Venom just like against a bunch of humans, like there's like little to no stakes, like I'm never going to feel like there's really any kind of threat it's just going to be him mowing through humans for however long and then like you were talking about the failure of studios like you're talking about your movie's going to be the first in a trilogy and i feel like that's the number one thing that studios mess up on and cause problems at the beginning of franchise when they're like we're going to make a trilogy and it's like how about you just make a movie first yeah but mine is a i want to interrupt movie. you guys really quick and just give you guys a two minute warning i know bobby since this is your movie if you have any strong feelings in the last two minutes to give many direction but otherwise this is your last second to defend yourself bobby do you have anything to say i think he's frozen <laughs> he's just he's judging us in, in silence <laughs> just silent judging i um, i will say that joe i like the uh johnny's more focused perspective that's the big thing pulling me in his direction so if you want to take these last few minutes to defend your choice to make yours more like a big sale action movie i mean that's the thing is i you know don't believe mine like he obviously you have the action scenes at the end and the fights at the end but one of the things i did want to focus on was the character of eddie brock and his choice of you know deciding that ultimately he has to be venom and you know i wanted to be focused on you know, it's a character piece inside of a big action movie where he has to fight all of these, you know, symbiotes all around the world. And, like, that's, I think, part of the problem with some of these movies is it's like, oh, I have to fight this big battle and it's just, like, in this one city because that's where all the symbiotes just happen. Oh, all these symbiotes just happen to land exactly where I am. It's just, like, I like the idea of more, like, hopping around the world and doing that, and I think you could make a more cool, interesting action movie that way. 
especially for um, third action piece. Yeah, and then real quick, just before you guys get to the decision, I would say, just getting back to a point I think Joe hit on, of the lack of stakes in mind, I'm not too concerned about the people that Venom's trying to kill. I want to show off his, like, him killing people in the violent way that he can't. But the real stakes in my movie and what my movie will really focus on is the character of Eddie fighting with Venom to who controls my body. Who controls, am I Eddie or am I Venom? And I think I'd rather see, especially for, like, a character, again, we've never really seen done right. I want to see that aspect rather than yours is starts off with a character being like, I don't want to be Venom anymore. And then he's like, oh, I guess I have to be Venom again. I'd rather have, I, I don't know who Venom is in your movie at all. So I want to show people the, you know, the juxtaposition of who Eddie is compared to who Venom is and them together and kind of start to establish that, that bond and that symbiotic relationship. I think that's the most important part of the character. And that's what I'm really focusing on. All right. Any last thoughts from Joe? Yeah, I was just going to say my movie does open with like Eddie and Venom to get together against Spider-Man and that whole thing. And that's why, and that's when he learns like Peter Parker is Spider-Man and that's when he like, you know, tells the world, but then no one believes him. And so that's the kind of. Yeah, I'll say it sounds like a combination of Spider-Man 3 and the Venom movie where he got and mine feels like something new that we haven't seen before. All right. Uh, yeah, if you have, uh, if you're decided, Bobby, we can let him stop here. Otherwise, we can let yeah, him play no, all I'm, night. I'm, uh, no, I'm good. Uh, I, I think I'm, I was pretty set like, re- relatively quickly into the arguments. Yeah, I, I was too. I got some good points in towards the end with Joe, but I think ultimately I am leaning towards Johnny on this one. I think he made a good point when he said we haven't seen this character done well and we need to have like a smaller kind of focus origin story on this character rather than giving him, like, a big kind of low-trotting adventure. And I feel like Venom as a character fits a lot more for that kind of focus narrative. So I'm leading towards Johnny on this one, but you're making the final call, Bobby. So where are we going? Yeah, and that's where I, that's where I landed as well. Uh, this one, just based on the pitches, I was pretty sure I was leaning Johnny, and unless Joe had a really good defense, because really Venom, he hasn't been done on screen very well, and I don't really want to see... I would rather see the villain... All right, so Bobby was going with me. Yeah, that's where we left off on that one. Yeah, that's where I'm going. I I, I can't talk too long even with uh, everything else shut down right now, apparently. But um, yep. But uh, yeah, that's where I'm going. So Joe, where are we going next? All right, how many movies do we got now? Uh, we'll go with uh, Jonah Hex next. Jonah uh, Hex, uh, classic DC bomb that people have kind of totally forgotten about. Megan Fox vehicle. It came out in 2010. It has a strong 12% on Rotten Tomatoes. A lot of low scores this episode. An all-star cast of future supervillains of Josh Berlin, Michael Fassbender, Michael Shannon. Uh, they all failed to tell the origin story of a DC antihero Western gunman named Jonah Hex, turning him into a supernatural being sent on a vengeful quest, hunting down his arch nemesis, Quentin Trimbell. Jonah Hex is one of the more popular non-superhero comic book heroes, and uh, he's first appeared in DC All-Stars Western in 1972. So who's going first on this one? Uh, Um, I believe he said I am. So Let's see what you got, Johnny. I think sometimes there's a chalky rule with a chalky, uh, you know, the chalkiest of the chalk, and I'm going with that. So I'm setting my movie in the 1980s. 
My movie came out, um, I'm having it in 1987. Jonah Hex at its core is a Western about an outlaw. Um, and so my director and star uh, is Clint Eastwood. At the time, he had already done Pale Rider, The Outlaw, Josie Wales, and Sudden Impact. Um, this would have been after that. This would have been peak Eastwood at his best like directing abilities. Um, I have a character in this film called Penelope. It's going to be played by Jodie Foster. Um, and then my villain, well, not really, yeah, villain, I guess, is Sheriff Quentin Turnbell. So spoiler alert, I have that played by Roy Scheider uh, from Jaws and the French Connection. And then El uh, Papagayo, who's a character in the comics, who also, he's just going to be the main henchman. Like every Western has the villain and then their little henchman. Um, and we play Kurt Russell, uh, who I think would do a good role. I want to see Kurt Russell versus Clint Eastwood. He's going to be carrying the main, like, villainous uh, fight scenes. But here's my film. Because I think at its core, Jonah Hex is a deeply flawed character who struggles with his morals. But um, some of his best work that I researched, this was a character I wasn't familiar with. Are, he's done some terrible things and then tries to um, do some great things after that to kind of make up for it, or he learns from it. So this is my movie. Jonah Hex, a cowboy with a scarred face, sits at a saloon drinking whiskey. He sees a couple men walk in and is eyeing them. They approach him with their, gun, with their hands on their guns, asking if he has a problem with them and why is he staring. He says he does not have a problem, it's only business, before pulling his, his revolver and shooting both of them. He pulls out a wanted poster for each man, reading $150, dead or alive. So he uh, he travels with the with the dead men. He brings them to the sheriff in another town um, and is given his reward. But the sheriff says uh, he has another job for him. Sheriff Turnbull tells Jonah Hex that his daughter has been kidnapped by Indians and he needs uh, him to bring her back. Jonah responds that he is not um, in, he is not the saving type. He is simply a bounty hunter looking to make a quick buck. The sheriff tells him that the reward will be $700 if he brings his daughter back alive. Jonah agrees and tracks down the tribe of Indians. He kills them all and finds the girl, Penelope, the sheriff's daughter. She looks horrified and refuses to ride back with Jonah, so he ties her hands together, throws her on the back of his horse, saying he only gets paid if he returns her to her father. While riding with the sobbing Penelope, he's attacked by four men on horseback and kills them. He says, who the hell are they? And Penelope tells him, that they work for her father, that she was not kidnapped, but ran away with the tribe because she was in love with one of the men Jonah slaughtered in the tribe. This changes something in Jonah. He no longer feels like a man on a job, but feels like a murderer and a fool to be tricked. He tells Penelope that he will not ask for her forgiveness, but must go back and kill the man who, who did this uh, to them. They ride back to the town, and Penelope hides while Jonah Hex does a big shootout with the sheriff's men, including El Papagayo, who's the uh, lead henchman, until he hunts down the sheriff. So it's going to end with a big third act uh, shootout, Clint Eastwood Western style movie. You have the kind of change of morals in there. You have him set up that he thinks he's just doing this quick bounty, make a quick buck, and then realizes, you know, maybe I can be somewhat of a hero and get somewhat of a redemption and go back to the town. And maybe he doesn't make up for what he's done. Um, but I think that at his core, from what I've researched this weekend, is. Uh, the core of the character Jonah Hex and all his uh, famous stories. So that is my film. Uh, all right. Uh, me and Johnny didn't go in too dissimilar of a direction with this plot wise. So uh, my director is going to be Scott Cooper, uh, who directed Hostiles and Out of the Furnace. My Jonah Hex tribe, you know, what part of the, the direction I went with mine is going to be Josh Brolin again, who played him in the original movie because I'm making this a short film 
similar to how they made the short film Punisher Dirty Laundry, where they took an actor that had played the character in a feature film and made a short film, and then bringing back Josh Brolin to play a more comic-accurate Jonah Hex, who doesn't have any supernatural powers. So, in my short film, it opens with Jonah riding on a horse across some grassy plains. Comic bubbles appear on screen, saying, A local tribe of Native Americans have raided a nearby settler's camp. Jonah has only one thing on his mind, revenge. We get an action scene of Jonah attacking the Native Americans until he is knocked off of his horse and pinned to the ground. The natives say that the mayor of the settlement has kidnapped the chief's daughter and they were only trying to rescue her. Jonah realizes he has been used. Uh, uh, Jonah knows if the natives try again, they will be massacred, so Jonah decides to sneak into the settlement camp and rescue the chief's daughter himself. He does so and gets her out unharmed. And so, like I said, I decided to go the short film route with this because Westerns aren't really super popular right now. And Jonah Hex isn't a very popular character. So there isn't, isn't really much of an audience for a full-length Jonah Hex film. But a short film starring Josh Brolin could be interesting. Also, with a runtime of around 15 minutes, there isn't really time to explore Jonah's backstory, which is slightly problematic. So I figured I could just skim over a lot of the you know, problematic history of Jonah Hex. So. That's why I did what I did in my pitch. All right, I like both pitches. You guys both had interesting ways to work around the controversy of Jonah Hex. Do you have any uh, questions going into them, Bobby? Um, for Johnny, I guess, um, just how is this going to differentiate itself from other just Clint Eastwood westerns at, you know, that, that he's done? Um, I know it's a superhero movie, but is it going to feel more like his other movies or be in a different tone, or how is that going to work? Well, the reason I kind of use The Pale Rider and Outlaw Josie Wales as examples, because those are movies Eastwood directed, mine is going to be a similar tone to those, but both of those movies stand out on their own, even though they're very similar, so I'm kind of going for that that aspect. I think at this time, Eastwood was making a lot of good westerns, and the ones that really stood out were, were the ones that he was a flawed character, and he was the main centric point, and maybe during the film he realizes, you know, I got to kind of change my morals. It, it, this does it a little more, um, more so that way than his other films like Pale Rider, but you know, he's not just like a, a bounty hunter, like in uh, Josie Wales, but in this, I think, I think it differentiates, it differentiates itself because you can bring in um, elements that would later go into Unforgiven, which I think is the best film he ever made um, in terms of like coming back and having that big shootout in the town. I think that's something that we never really got with his old Westerns. Um, it has a lot of the same elements, but then you have more of an action scene because it's a superhero movie at the end, rather than just like a duel with one guy or pulling his gun on one person or something like that. Okay. Um, and I don't really have any questions for Joe. I'm just curious to see how it's gonna, how the fight's going to go with a full-length film against a short film. Um, Especially but, ones with very, yeah. very similar plots. Right. Yeah. True. Yeah, I guess, Joe, all I need from you in the argument here is a little bit more on why, I mean, I know it was a rule, but why do you think a Jonah Hex film would specifically benefit from being a short film? You said it's not a very well-known character, so why would they choose to make this a short film rather than giving them a feature with their whole backstory? Uh, yeah, if you want me to start right now, basically, yeah, like, go ahead. if you like look into his backstory, I feel like to make a movie that would come out today, Granted, Johnny's came out in the 1980s, and these were kind of the two rules I bounced back and forth with with this movie. Or, yeah, with this movie, is I feel like, I mean, Punisher wasn't a very popular character. I mean, he had had feature films when Punisher Dirty Laundry came out, and I feel like that was like a beloved, you know, short film by the fan base. And I feel like, especially now with 
Reddit and the internet bringing Josh Brolin back, you know, a short film for Jonah Hex to fix. That's a cool, fun, you know, badass action western with Josh Brolin. Uh, so I think Jonah Hex could be something that's very popular and could almost get interest back in the character, where right now I don't really know how well a full-length, you know, Jonah Hex feature film will do. So that's why I went with the short film, and I feel like, you know, I just told a quick, you know, 20-minute story. Uh, and so that's, yeah, that's what I did. All right, I'm ready to hear you guys start fighting it out now. It'll be curious to hear this out. Yeah, um, so with me, I think for Joe, comparing it to Punisher Dirty Laundry, the big difference is no one any, no one nowadays knows who Jonah Hex is. I went to Comic City today to try to find some Jonah Hex stuff, and they didn't have one single thing um, of the character because no one really cares about him. So I felt like the best way to do it was set it in the 80s, make it a Western. People will care more that it's a Western than it is Jonah Hex. Um, but you know, you can still base it off some of the source material, have the character with like the cool scarred face. I feel like that'd be a memorable look that, um, Clint Eastwood never really did. And the difference with the dirty laundry is Punisher was a super popular character. And the reason I feel like, um, that was made was because Thomas Jane was like, man, this wasn't my fault. Like Punisher wasn't my fault. And that killed my career. I want to show people that I can be the cool Punisher. Like this is what I intended. I don't get that vibe from like Josh Brolin. He's played two of the, he's two big superhero movies since he's Thanos and he was cable. Like I don't see Josh Brolin having those same, um, like, I, I don't know. Um, like the same motivation to kind of just be like, yeah, yeah. Jonah Hex short would be cool. I'm really passionate about this character and maybe he is, but I just feel like Thomas Jane did that originally. The Dirty Laundry was basically like, hey, this wasn't my fault. And Josh Brolin doesn't need to do that. Thomas Jane kind of did because his career died after The Punisher. He hasn't really done much since. Um, and and the other thing with it is like, I don't know. And same thing with like Ryan Reynolds with Deadpool. Like when you get those shorts to kind of push those movies, it's the actor being super passionate and it's their passion project and wanting to be like, look, it wasn't me that screwed this movie up. But like, Josh Brolin was just doing that movie for a paycheck and he had a fantastic career, even if he didn't do superhero movies afterwards. So I don't think it's a truly fair comparison. I get what you're going for, but I don't think it's the same. And no one nowadays would even care that there was a Jonah Hex short. Even if you put that at Comic-Con, people would be like, who the fuck is Jonah Hex? But I also feel like on the flip side with Josh Brolin being as popular as he is, that would help sell it, you know, help get eyes on it. And it's like, that's the one character that got, you know, the one comic book character he did that didn't turn out well. Like, Thanos turned out well, Cable turned out well, even, like, the Men in Black movie did turn out well. Like, that's the one that got fucked up, so that I could see him being, like, that's the one I want to get right, because then, you know, then I can have them all done right, done well, and I feel like Scott Cooper is the type of director he'd want to work with, even if it's a short film. And I, But I'd rather see Scott Cooper, who did Hostiles, do a full-length Jonah Hex movie that doesn't relate to the one that already came out. I think Hostels is one of the best Westerns that's come out probably since 310 to Yuma. Shout out for Christian Bale for being in good Westerns. But I, I'd rather just, if you, when you started, I was like, Ooh, this might be hard to, to fight. And then you brought back Josh Brolin. Even if I, I think having him in it doesn't really help your movie. I get, you know, the reason you kind of went for that. But if you were just like, Hey, I think this dude would be a better one. Maybe Josh Brolin produced it, but I, I don't see him fitting the character. 
Um, I, and I, I just think with mine, like mine would be popular in the eighties because every movie that Clint Eastwood did in the eighties was popular. He was doing the dirty Harry movies and he was coming to his own as a director. I think in 87, he would have been really established at that point And people would have lined up to see this, whether they knew the source material or not. And, and I think that's the only way, the only time frame that you ever could have done an interesting story with Jonah Hex because the character just completely faded from history at this point. And I just feel like with yours, it would exactly, it would just fade into the background of all of Clint Eastwood's other movies that I don't know if that's the one that's going to stick out and people are going to care about or if it's just going to be one in a long list of movies that, oh, Clint Eastwood did that. Yeah, but even those lists of movies are like good movies. Like they're, they're ones that if you look at like AFI's top 100 Westerns and stuff like that, like people still, um, you know, appreciate those movies. I went on a Clint Eastwood binge when I was in high school because I was obsessed with Westerns and I looked up like, oh, top 20 Westerns and like, Pale Rider was on there. Outlaw Josie Wales was on there. The Good, the Bad, the Ugly was on there. And I went back and watched all those because those at least, that uh, Westerns as a whole maybe didn't um, last, but those films last in history because they're kind of cemented in their place from like the, you know, 50s to the 80s. Um, And then uh, I just think, you know, and I wouldn't be mad ever just seeing another one with Clint Eastwood because I like all the ones that he did. So I want to see one with a little bit of a twist on it, but still the similar styles. Yeah, not as also with like um, uh, uh, Jonah Hex's like origin story and backstory. I don't know if Clint Eastwood's the guy I trust to like do that in a way that's you know doesn't have all of the problems that the Jonah Hex story has. I mean, maybe, but you could still have him. It's it, it's very similar. You know, this obviously came out much later, but it's like Grand Torino. You have a character with a very shady background he doesn't you know he uses all these racial slurs towards uh asian people and vietnamese people but at the end he you know he's not portrayed as like this heroic character and at the end he sacrifices himself clint eastwood has always been the type of person in his movies at least not like away from film to do that he shows flawed characters that um in the end are motivated to do something um, selfless. And I think Joan Hex plays right into that. And I think that's something that Clint Eastwood has shown before my movie would have come out and after his this movie came out, that that was something that he always wanted to show on screen. And those are his best movies when he does those. I'm going to cut it off right here and just see if Joe has any last points to make. I know you look like you're about to make some a statement and I want to give you a chance to respond to Johnny there. So any last thoughts, Joe? Oh no! Like I get what he's going for. I just don't know if he would succeed with like a lot of the slavery and you know confederacy aspects of um, John Axe's backstory. If he would do it in a way where looking back, he'd be like, oh, "That's probably a movie we shouldn't watch anymore." And what do you say to that, Jenny? I mean, my movie doesn't really have anything to do with that. I mean, you could hint that this character has a flawed background, like they do in Unforgiven, but in that movie, it's not like. You watch, you don't watch any of Clint Eastwood's movies back, and you're like, yeah, that movie's problematic. Like, just because he did the Obama thing in a chair doesn't mean his movies are problematic. Like, you know, he's old and senile now, and he has bad political views, but back in the day, he always was a top quality filmmaker. All right, Bobby, a feeling decided on this one. You got any thoughts on it? Um, yeah, I mean, so I wasn't very passionate, like, one way or the other. Like, I was, you know, each pitch. And I think what it came down to, though, that's what it really did, is I'm not that strong. You know, I don't have a very strong feeling. Oh, cut out. But, yeah, am I back? Yeah, um, 
So I, I think. Oh, shit. Bobby, maybe put it in the private chat and we can just read it if you have something more to say. And we'll get to Tristan's ruling. Yeah, and I'll get to my thoughts right now while he's breaking up. Uh, I feel similarly to how he started saying he felt. Uh, I'm not a huge Jonah Hex fan. So I essentially looked at both of these films as what would I be into as someone who has read like a couple of his issues when he's in random crossover events and things, but I don't know Jonah Hex at all, really. And Joe's had the the appeal of like this nostalgic throwback to the Jonah Hex movie. But I think the problem is that nobody cares about the Jonah Hex movie. Like it doesn't have that passionate fan base. The character doesn't, not even the movie doesn't. So I don't really see that being something that would be exciting. Whereas Johnny's, I feel, it being a Western, it being a Clint Eastwood movie would be one of those cool, fun superhero what if movies. Like you go on the list of, oh, and here's the Supergirl movie from the 1990s. And here's the Fantastic Four from 1994. And did you know they made a Clint Eastwood, uh, Jonah Hex movie? And then I think that would be something that I would be interested in watching. So I just think Johnny sounds like it uses Clint Eastwood pretty well. It would be something that would get me to watch a Jonah Hex movie. And maybe Bobby Bobby has some thoughts before I make it final, but I'm going Johnny on this one. Yeah, and I'm going to leave and come back to see if my internet gets helped out. But I was actually leaning a little bit Joe, but it was 51-49. And it was because I wasn't that passionate. And I thought the story, the very simplistic story, lent itself well to a short film. But honestly, both sounded fine like i would watch both and one's a solid western a good one from clint eastwood and one's going to be a fun short film so but yeah going into it what my thoughts were i I debated on the short film thing like joe did um and obviously we stuck with pretty similar stories i was basically like what would get me to watch this film knowing it was a clint eastwood western which i have actively went back and revisited or in five years i'm like no one's going to be reading jonah hacks and be like oh i wonder what was like what movies were made. So I feel like just test of time is what made me go back and be like, you know what? I didn't really care about Clint Eastwood, but just being into the genre of Westerns will bring people back to it more so than just Jonah Hex as a character, bringing people into it. Yeah. We've got the return of Bobby. How are you doing, Bobby? Not too bad. Just trying to get my internet to work a little better. I can hear the whole I have no issues with that, with judging. So if I have to, I'll put something in the chat if I really can't, uh, you know, be heard. All right. So now I lost from Joe, though. Where are we going on the next one, Joe? What's Maybe the three. score? Oh, two, out of two, two and out. Two no, You got nothing. All right. Um, I guess I don't really want to go Batman next. I'll take a risk, and I'm going to go Constantine. Constantine. Keanu Reeves, before he was the all-star return of the Keanu Reeves. Constantine came out in 2005. It has 46% on Rotten Tomatoes, so not quite as bad as some of the ones on here, but not exactly great. John Constantine, like I said, is played by Keanu Reeves, and he's a man who can see demons, and he helps a a skeptical policewoman played by Rachel Wise investigate her twin sister's mysterious death. The film changes several elements of the source material and the character, though, and has slowly grown a cult following, mostly because of Keanu Reeves, and he's gotten this new internet fame so people are going back and revisiting some of his old lesser acclaimed movies but the hellblazer constantine is kind of an all-star at brodigo comics it was created by famed comic book writer alan moore and he first appeared in moore's uh 
very, very good Saga of the Swamp Thing in 1985 before going on to read one of Vertigo's most successful comic book lines and one of the longest-running comic book lines in comic book history. So what do you got for Constantine? Right, yeah, I didn't say, but I'm, I'll go first because Johnny went first last time. Uh, my director is going to be Ari Aster, who directed Midsummer and Hereditary. Uh, my John Constantine is going to be played by Ewan McGregor. Uh, his assistant and driver, Chaz Chandler, is going to be played by uh, Jack Rayner, who was in Midsummer and uh, Sing Street. And then my Lucifer is going to be played by Gabriel Byrne, who was in Hereditary and The Usual Suspects. So in New York City, British occult detective John Constantine gets a call during a late night underground poker game that he is handedly winning, which we later learn is been trying to pay off medical debt for his lung cancer. Uh, it's a priest calling him, telling him a young girl is possessed and the demon needs to be exercised. John struggles removing the demon for a while as the priest and the girl's family watch. The demon eventually leaves the girl and runs down the streets of New York City with John chasing after it. John is soon being chased by another being. In the shadows, we see the man chasing John tackle the demon. John casts a spell that has a super bright light. The demon is vaporized. John looks at the man and asks if he is all right. He then quips that he may want to get his eyes checked because a spell like that can blind you if you aren't careful. The man replies that he isn't worried. The man steps out of the shadows to reveal it is Daredevil, played by Toby Kettle, which is the rule I'm using of having a character crossover from another universe. Uh, John uses his abilities to see Daredevil's face under the mask. Daredevil says the priest thought John might need backup. As John lights a cigarette, he says he prefers to work alone. When Daredevil asks what that being was, John tells him it was a demon, and the two both talk about their Catholic upbringings, including John's suicide attempt as a child after he thought he was going crazy and explains that because he tried killing himself, he can't utter heaven. John, along with his driver Chaz, talk to his contacts because a demonic possession breaks the contract between God and Lucifer. John finds out the possessions aren't being orchestrated by Lucifer, who is the first of the fallen, but the second of the fallen, who has taken over hell. Chaz is confused about God. Why, wouldn't, why God wouldn't stop it? John asks Chaz how long he's lived in America. Chaz says his whole life. And John says, right now, how often do you see the guys at the top worry about the guys at the bottom? And Chaz replies, never. And John says, exactly. God is at the top, and we're at the very bottom. John says, if any of the three fallen take over hell and eliminate the other two, then life on this plane of existence is over. Chaz asks what he's uh, going to do, and John has an idea, but he needs to speak with a lawyer. Just then, John sees a poster stapled to a post advertising the law firm Nelson and Murdoch with the face of the man under Daredevil's mask on it. They go to the law firm and ask to have three identical, identical contracts drawn up. Matt Murdock, the blind lawyer who is more widely known as Daredevil, says he doesn't think John can afford them. John says they were hoping they would do it pro bono, otherwise John might let it slip that he knows about Matt Murdock's nighttime adventures. John has three contact, contact, contracts drawn up and performs a ritual that sends him to hell where he offers to sell his soul to each of the three of the fallen. Uh, not knowing about the deal with the other two, they all three sign. When John returns to Earth, he splits his wrists, and John tells Jazz that because of his past, he has the most desirable soul in all, of ex all planes of existence. All three of the fallen appear with none of them able to claim his soul. Committing the ultimate sacrifice to save humanity, John is granted access to heaven by God. However, Lucifer pulls him to Earth and removes the cancer from John's lungs, so he has more time to sin and be sent to hell. Uh, John is able to live, and the three of the fallen return to hell and fight over the most desirable soul, and that is my pitch. I like that pitch. I'm always a fan of Ari yeah. Aster directing stuff. So I'm excited to hear Johnny's uh, reaction to that and his pitch. 
Yeah, um, I I went to base mine more off the only thing I'm super familiar with with Constantine is uh, the Hellblazer um, series, which is some of the best um, comic writing uh, that I've read, and a really interesting story. Um, so I'm gonna go give you a couple people in my movie, and then um, do my pitch, and then tell you who my other characters are. So. My director, Joe, this might sound familiar, is Panos Cosmatos, who did Mandy and Beyond the Black Rainbow. I really love his style. I think this fits much better for um, Constantine and the demons and all the wild uh, action in this than it did for Venom. Um, and then my John Constantine, um, when I look at him, I picture one man playing him, and that's Dan Stevens. He's got the blue eyes. He's got the sharp facial features. He's got the blonde hair. He looks like you know, the best version of uh, real life uh, Constantine. So I'll kind of do my film um, and go into some notes and tell you who my characters are. The film starts with a kid crying out to his dad in the middle of the night. The dad comes in and says, what is wrong, Billy? Billy is sobbing and clutching his side. There is a thick stain of blood coming through his shirt. Looking horrified, his father goes to pick him up, but Billy thrashes about. Dad, he said I could go see mommy. He said he would give me wings. His father responds, what do you mean? Who said this to you? Billy says in a weakened state, I think he's the boogeyman. Billy's eyes close and something strange starts to happen. A red mist comes out of his mouth, forming the shape of a body. It's a red demon with horns and bat-like wings. The man shouts, what have you done with my son? Who, what are you? The creature responds, I am Nurgle, the creature, or, or the stealer of souls and the god of war. Nurgle turns to mist again, which rushes in, through the man's mouth. His eyes turn red. Cut to the blue eyes of John Constantine. He is alone in his office when he has a knock on the door. A man enters the office. He says his name is Johnny, and he is here to find the sorcerer known as Constantine. He says there has been a tear in the dimensions, and he comes from another realm to stop a demon, and he needs his help. This starts the partnership of John Constantine and Johnny Blaze, a.k.a. the Ghost Rider. Because I used the same rule Joe did, and I brought in a character that actually fits in the universe of Constantine. Um, and I picture this. This is a variant cover of Constantine for anyone watching. And I picture my movie poster. Just picture that skull with flames around it, and you get my movie poster. Nurgle, to give you some background, is basically like he is to Constantine what Mephisto is to Ghost Rider. The characters have a lot in common making deals with the, de uh, the devil, dealing with demons and things like that. And then my Ghost Rider is going to be played by Pedro Pascal. Uh, my Nurgle, who in human form, um, is going to be played by Linus Roach, who is Jeremiah, who's the villain in Mandy. He was also, funny enough, uh, Thomas Wayne in Batman Begins. Um, but I, he's already worked with uh, Panos. He plays a good villain, and I want to kind of build off that and build the creature design around his face when he turns back into the creature. Um, so... Let me find my spot now that I cut out of it. So they must work together to stop Nurgle from destroying both of their dimensions by melding them together, which would end all of humanity. Um, they fight demons and find Nurgle, who is parading around in human form, stealing souls and gaining power throughout the film. Constantine casts a spell to make Nurgle reveal his true form, and Ghost Rider and Constantine have an epic fight. Constantine convinces Nurgle to take over his body, promising he will grow even stronger by gaining the abilities of his sorcery. Nurgle agrees to this and takes over his body, and then there's a psychedelic-style scene 
um, of Nurgle being approached by all the souls and the ghosts that haunt Constantine, and they slowly rip him apart from um, from inside uh, Constantine's body. So this is kind of the end. This is how they defeat Nurgle. It's very similar to uh, in the Hellblazer series. Constantine offers the demon his body um, in exchange to basically save people around him and tricks him into coming into his body. And because of all of the souls that haunt Constantine, they rip Nurgle apart. So I'm basing it off of that. I think um, the dynamic of Ghost Rider uh, works really well with um, with Constantine uh, fighting demons and things like that. You have the magic Constantine versus like the fiery chain and the, um, you know, the sharp uh, knuckles of, of Ghost Rider fighting demons that uh, an army of those that would come at him um, and people from the, uh, the nether realm. And then at the end, um, it basically is Ghost Rider going back to his realm. I think it fits uh, that, you know, to a DC and a Marvel character will cross over if you explain the splitting of dimensions and things like that. So I like that as a way to introduce it. And again, Panos Cosmatos could do such a cool job of bringing Ghost Rider's like psychedelic look like life and some of the elements of the Hellblazer story. If you look at the artwork, that's the director that I really thought fit. So that's my pitch for Constantine, and I, uh, I'm i very excited for it. And Ghost Rider's cool as shit, so I'm hoping to do it right. Yeah, I think Ghost Rider would be a cool crossover with Constantine. Two really good pitches. I'm definitely split. I want to hear thoughts from Bobby before I give my thoughts, because I know that you're making the final call on this movie. So what are you thinking, Bobby? Um, I think they're both good pitches. I do think... Johnny gave a little bit better um, reasoning for his crossover. So I'd like to hear Joe defend that maybe just as he goes or just now and then get into the fight. But other than that, uh, I don't really have any major questions. Yeah, my one question was the same thing. I want to hear Joe get into his choice for Daredevil because I think Johnny definitely has you beat on the crossover choice. All right, yeah, I can start with if that's all you got. Yeah, I can start with that. So basically one of the things I thought about was I thought about like different like mystical characters like Doctor Strange and whoever and like to me I wanted to go with more of like a different like slightly unexpected choice and I was like looking for various Marvel characters and I saw Daredevil and I thought about like the religion kind of aspects of that character and I thought like the fact that they're both I mean obviously like how you know uh, Constantine goes to hell and all that but he's still like somewhat of a street level character to an aspect so I thought pairing him with Daredevil another street level character and I thought aesthetically you know the dark and grimy dirty kind of visuals fit both characters well and uh and i just thought like they could have interesting conversations with both of their kind of religious history so i thought it was like a different choice but a choice that still fit and still worked that i'd still be really interested to watch and see yeah let's move on to the arguments then johnny why is your movie so much better than joe's movie I just think, I mean, if you're bringing Ari Aster into it, I would have wanted it to really, really dive into the horror elements. And I don't know if Daredevil and talking about God and all these things really fit into those. It's not exactly like the elements that we've seen Ari Aster explore in his in his films or the conversations about Catholicism and, and God. And that's not really what I want to see out of Constantine. I'd rather pair him with a character that knows about hell because that's the more interesting aspect of Constantine, making deals with Lucifer and the devil. Ghost Rider knows all about that. I want to see just... Like, the action scenes would be cool because, um, you know, uh, the action scenes in Mandy, but to a higher scale, would be awesome and fitting for both of these characters. 
Um, but I want to see just the scenes of Dan Stevens and Pedro Pascal talking about past experiences and things like that. I think they're both phenomenal actors. And I think the tearing of dimensions explains the crossover much better. When you do any of these little one-off series um, of comics that had crossovers, there's always something to kind of explain why these characters are there. Joe's, it's just like, yeah, Daredevil's just in this universe, I guess, now. He just kind of showed up. Um, and I, I don't really get it. I don't like the crossover of those characters. I think Daredevil at his best is when he's grounded, like in the show. I think Daredevil, even in the books, gets weird. Like when it gets weird and when you bring in supernatural elements is Daredevil at his weakest. And I think, um, you know, you can't be a super grounded Constantine story and yours isn't. So I don't like the fit of Daredevil. Um, I, I just think my movie works as a whole better. I like the directing choice. I think he fits the style that I'm trying to go for. I can't really picture Joe's movie with Ari Aster. I, I don't picture the style. I don't picture the characters. I don't picture the action. And I picture the look of mine better um, than than his. Yeah, I disagree. Like, I think, too, with my movie of, you know, Daredevil and Constantine, like, it's not necessarily... Like, they could be separate in... I feel like the conversation of like them, like both being knowledgeable about hell, both being, you know, kind of having similar experiences, kind of like you're having more of the same. I'd rather see a different dynamic of these two characters that are similar, but different where Daredevil's, you know, not experienced with hell. They're not both like making deals with the devil and all that. And I feel like that's more of an interesting dynamic than two characters that have, you know, kind of basically the same experience just the different universes in different ways and making deals with the devil and all that. Yeah. But I think, I think like the best aspects of Daredevil, like even if you go back to the show are all the other superheroes look down on Daredevil because of his um, Catholicism and his lack of wanting to kill and things like that. And I think the dynamic is better when you have characters that don't quite understand him. I, I think if you bring in another character, like Daredevil's whole thing is he's just like, his own person. And like, if you look at his conversation with Punisher on the roof in the daredevil uh, season two show, it's just a, a different view on stopping crime. Punisher saying, you're not killing people. They're just coming back out of the street. I'm putting them, you know, out of our misery. I think those conversations, especially like in the comics, do you have a lot of storylines with daredevil that are similar? Those are when he's at his best. I don't need him talking about his, you know, religious views and his Catholicism and the belief in God with a character that might agree with him or actually experienced it. And I think the best thing too about Daredevil is that he doesn't know his beliefs are for sure. So as soon as you bring in Constantine, you're acknowledging angels are real, God is real, the devil is real because he interacts with these characters. And then if you introduce those into Daredevil, he's a much less interesting character. I like that he is faith-based, but he is not always fully believing his faith. He questions it. He's not questioning it anymore if you put him in the world of Constantine because he's like, oh yeah, all that stuff is actually true. Like I don't have to question any of my my morals anymore because I know hell exists. I know heaven exists. I know God exists. I don't want Daredevil to know those things exist. It makes him a much more boring character. But you also have Constantine as a known con man, a known, you know, liar and trickster and all that. So just because Constantine's there, you know, Constantine could be not telling the truth or telling half truths, half truths. So you still have that conflict and unsure and all that. So it just plays into it. Not well, really. Man. You're bringing in demons like, and he's going to hell and being sent to hell. I, I don't necessarily think he's conning him. I don't, I don't get that from your pitch. 
Do you guys All have right, we, anything else yeah. to bring up other than just is Daredevil a fit or not? Something in your plot that makes it a better Constantine yeah. movie? Yeah, yeah let's get like... one final push for your for each of your movies. Don't like not as much a hit on the other one. Just like give me what's the reason yours is the best for me to do. Yeah. Joe, you go first. Oh yeah, I was just gonna say just with mine, I feel like it's an interesting dynamic between them and Daredevil. I do think Ari Aster fits, you know, with his work with like demons and like these weird groups of people with Midsummer, and I feel like you know he could give us a really cool, interesting different take with Constantine. I think Ewan McGregor is a great fit for Constantine. I think Toby Cavill's a great Daredevil. You know, I think my cast top to bottom works, and so yeah, that's what I have. Um, for me, I, I think um, if you're doing a Constantine movie with uh, bringing Ghost Rider, it's got to be stylistic. So I chose someone with a specific style that I'd like to see make a bigger budget. And I think mine works because it's based on the most popular run of Constantine comics. While I cut some elements, I changed some things. Um, anyone who knows the comics knows that Billy is actually like a, a demon and stuff, but I'm not introducing that in my movie. I'm just kind of bringing that in to be like a shout out to fans who know the character. I think mine has more of things that Constantine fans would want to do. It delves more into um, like the um, the souls that are lost in Constantine and the struggles that he has as a person um, in terms of questioning who he is and is he a good guy or a bad guy. He has that a lot in the comics and I want to bring that in. Um, and I think too, if you're going to do a Constantine movie, it's got to be pretty violent and I love the action in Mandy and I want to see those fight scenes play out. Um, and I trust that someone who's already shown some crazy ass action scenes uh, can do that on a bigger scale with my movie if I give them the budget to do so. All right. Uh, I've got a couple of thoughts. It was hard on this. You guys definitely went both in, uh, back and forth on this one. Initially, I was leaning a lot towards Johnny. I think he had it in the pitch, but the more Joe talks about Daredevil and Ari Aster and the elements of faith and how that could work in interesting between Constantine and Daredevil. And I think Ari Aster is a good voice to tell that story. So I do like that director's choice. But Johnny went with the director of Mandy, and I think he really leaned into that director's style and what made Mandy kind of cool and interesting and turned that into a Constantine film. I think Joe used Ari Aster for like his aesthetic and some of his tones, but it doesn't quite feel like as much of a horror movie, as much of an R.E.S. or kind of family character drama that I would want from the director. So I think in the end, I'm going with Johnny, but ultimately I'm not making a final call, so I'll give it to Bobby. But I'm leaning yeah, to so, Johnny on this one. So right off the pitches, just like you, I was leaning Johnny pretty heavily, uh, but during the arguments, Joe did bring it close um, as it was going. Um, but just by the end, I think Johnny just had a better understanding of the character and even maybe of the character daredevil that he brought some really good arguments to um i don't like daredevil when he is more into the supernatural i like him a little bit more grounded um and his elements of faith and questioning it so, uh based on that and just the pitch i think ghost rider is a perfect fit uh so i'm going with johnny and that puts joe in a pretty big hole here yeah rough spot for you joe you're three three nothing right now you got to get a get a win here where are you going on the next one all right you know I got to go with the guy who's never let me down. So I'm going to go with a reboot to movie that's on my Mount Rushmore of fucking shitty movies, and that's Batman and Robin from 1997. Who's going Batman first? Batman and Robin. I'm did sure that'll be on everyone's shitty list. You did, I Who's think. going first? 
Yeah, yeah. Joey, you went first last yeah, time. Yeah, so Johnny can go first this time. All right, before we get to Batman and Robin, the ultimate Batman movie bomb, and the movie that could decide if Joe bombs right now, I want to remind you guys to follow us on social media. We're on Facebook, we're on Twitter, we're on TikTok, we're especially active on TikTok. My co-host Bobby has been doing some really great music-related videos, some music uh, remixes of movie themes. So what if Daft Punk did James Bond, those kind of things. And he's been posting them on our TikTok, so I definitely want to plug Bobby's great videos. And I've been doing daily DC reviews leading up to the Justice League Snyder Cut coming out in a couple weeks. So if you want to lose your mind watching terrible and sometimes good DC movies every single day, follow us on TikTok. Uh, We're pretty active on social media, and if you follow us on your favorite podcasting app, we would love a five-star review or a one-star review if you hate us. Give us that engagement, you know. Just give us give us those likes or those dislikes. Anything that gets us on the list, you know. Keep interacting every week. And now we'll get to Batman and Robin, a movie that completely killed a franchise for a very long time and maybe killed all comic book movies for a very long time. 1997, not a great year for comic book movies. 11% on Rotten Tomatoes. The not-quite-dynamic duo of George Clooney's Batman and Chris O'Donnell... Chris O'Donnell's Robin return, this time to take on Uma Thurman's Poison Ivy and Arnold Schwarzenegger's amazing Mr. Freeze, along with the help of Barbara Wilson, kind of Batgirl-ish character, Alicia Silverstone plays her, and Batman is one of the first superheroes and one of the most popular. He debuted in Detective Comics issue number one, way back in 1939, and Robin showed up just a year later in 1940. And he was a huge hit. So he doubled the sales of Batman comics. Kind of weird. He hasn't worked well in movies since. So I want to hear what you guys are going to do to fix Batman or Robin. All right. So this was one of my really long pitches. So I cut it down. If any story elements, if or any story elements might be missing that someone has a question with, please address it. Because I did cut some things out to hope to just address them if needed. If you've listened right. to our podcast for a while. You know that I like long pitches, so go for it, Johnny. So, Batman and Robin. I'm basing mine a little bit off of a little animated film that came out a couple years ago called Batman Ninja, because mine is a period piece. And my director is Edward Zwick, who did Defiance, uh, which is a really good uh, film with uh, Daniel Craig. And he also did Blood Diamond. And he also did The Last Samurai, because mine is going to be set uh, in 1700s uh, Japan. Um, my Batman, I had to put him in here because the whole time I'm watching this show, I'm picturing him as Batman. Andrew Koji, the lead of the show Warrior on HBO Max, he has the look of Batman. He has the uh, playboy attitude of Bruce Wayne if you need it in there, and he can fight like no one else. My Robin um, is going to be played by Manny Jacinto, who uh, is probably known best for The Good Place, um, but he's also in Bad Times at El Royale. He was in a, um, one of his first films was just a short film and he was, um, uh, I think a samurai in that as well. So he's shown he can, he can fight, but he's also kind of quippy and funny. Like I need a Robin character kind of be, um, I have a character in here named Mei Ying, uh, that's going to be played by Brenda Song. Uh, she's in social network. Um, she's just gorgeous and I really like her. Um, my a villain in this is going to be Deathstroke and that's going to be played by her, uh, Hiroyuki Sanada, who is um, in Sunshine, and he was in The Wolverine, but I think 
while looking it up, he is actually Scorpion in the new Mortal Kombat movie, which I didn't realize until I cast him. But that's I'm so excited for Mortal Kombat. Side note, um, my and then I have a character named Master King that's going to be played by Koji Yakusho, who is in Thirteen Assassins and The Third Murder. Um, and then I have Alfred in here. Throw him in there. That's going to be played by Mark Rylance. He's not a big character in my movie, but he's in there. Um, so here's my pitch. Taking place in the 1700s, the film starts off with a Japanese family in America in a stagecoach. The stagecoach is pulled over by bandits, and a young Bruce Wayne sees his parents shot and killed by thugs. 20 years later in Japan, a group of masked men attack a group on horseback, killing the men and trying to take the woman riding with them. Sorry. Got a burp. Um... The woman riding with them is Mai Ying. I deleted that name on here, but I want to make sure that's Brenda Song's character. Um, their attack is interrupted by a man with a hood over his face. He defeats them all and rescues the girl, but one man rides away. The woman thanks the mysterious man who rescues her. He says to go back home. She's safe now. The masked man returns to a small shack in the forest where he is greeted by his caretaker, Alfred. Good evening, Master Bruce. Bruce Wayne takes off his hood and greets Alfred. Cut to the man who escaped riding back, uh, escaped the event riding back to a palace. A man with a giant slash over his right eye wearing orange and black samurai armor sits in a throne. Master Deathstroke, the man says, we were unsuccessful in the kidnapping. There was a man wearing all black who defeated us. I managed to get away to come tell you. Deathstroke steps down off his throne and says, it sounds to me as if you failed. He strikes his messenger down with his katana. Bruce, in his ninja-like attire, takes out another group of bandits one night and is tracked down by men working for Deathstroke. He is ambushed by the men, fights back, but the number of men is too many, and they overpower him. Just then, a samurai in green and red armor comes to, comes to the rescue, slicing down the men trying to kill Bruce. The man introduces himself and says, they call, they call me Kamadori, or the Robin. He tells Bruce that the woman he saved is his daughter, um, or is the daughter of the leader of his village, and they want to thank him and offer him the training of a samurai. Bruce is reluctant, but accepts when Robin explains that a feared warlord named Deathstroke is behind the attacks, and he needs Bruce to help stop them. Bruce trains with Robin under the tutelage of Master King, who sees Bruce as a unique soul because he is an expert fighter, but he refuses to kill, even in the time of war. They get news that Deathstroke's army plans on attacking their village and must prepare. The attack on the village shows how outnumbered they are, but Batman and Robin are skilled fighters, now donning armor resembling their characters, but in samurai form. They build little inventions that are similar to gadgets to distract and discombobulate the villainous army um, to draw their attention away so they can take them out. Um, this all leads to a fight between Batman and Deathstroke after Robin is injured, and we get a sword fight and then slash hand-to-hand fight scene where Batman eventually defeats Deathstroke but refuses to kill him, so Deathstroke escapes. Um, in the end, you have the people in the village telling Batman he is making a mistake for letting Deathstroke go. But Batman says, if he comes back, we'll be more prepared. Um, and that's that's pretty much my movie. I cut some little story elements out that weren't really important. Obviously, you're going to have Batman, you know, become Batman by embracing his fear of bats and things like that. But I feel like that's stuff that kind of needs to be unsaid because it's in most of the Batman origin stories. So. That's my my movie. Um, it's a samurai uh, ninja Batman movie, and I would go see this in a second if DC had the balls to do it. 
I think TCU definitely would. I don't know about MCU, but we'll get into that in a later episode after this Seneca comes out, maybe. All right, Joe, that's a good pitch to beat. So what do you got for Batman and Robin? All right, I'm going to first off say I think that's a terrible rule usage. I don't know why anyone would use the rule for this movie, but my director is uh, Sam Mendes, directed Road to Perdition, Skyfall, 1917. My Bruce Wayne slash Batman is Jake Gyllenhaal. Um, Robin, Dick Grayson is Noah Juke, who I seem to somehow cast every week just because I need someone that's like mid-teenager and that's kind of usually who I settle with. Uh, my Riddler is going to be played by Jude Law. My Alfred is going to be played by Anthony Hopkins. And my Commissioner Gordon will be played by Brian Cranston. So first off, uh, like Johnny, I'm using the rule of making it a period piece because I'm setting it in 1880s Gotham. Uh, I want this to be a detective noir film because I want it to focus on Batman being the world's greatest detective. And while there will be gadgets and fights, it will be dialed back and like the detective work is mostly what we will be focused on. Uh, the plot of my movie follows a serial killer who leaves riddles leading to his next victim. Uh, Commissioner Gordon and the Gotham police are unable to solve the riddles in time, leading to numerous Gotham citizens being murdered. Meanwhile, a teen orphan tries breaking into Bruce Wayne's carriage while he is enjoying a play. The teen is stopped by Alfred, who tells the kid to come by the manor later, and he will have work for him in exchange for food. Uh, Bruce eventually takes a liking to the teen orphan and allows him to stay. When news breaks that the man known as the Riddler has struck again, Batman shows up at Gordon's house and offers to help solve the latest riddle. Gordon is reluctant at first, but gives Batman the riddle, feeling desperate. Bruce knows that as a high-profile citizen, he can't sneak around, and Batman can only sneak around on rooftops at night. So he decides to use the young orphan as his eyes and ears to follow the next victim, who he believes to be the commissioner himself. The young orphan, he uses the codename Robin, which was his mother's nickname for him, spots someone following the commissioner. Robin makes a noise, and Gordon turns around to see his stalker running away, right into Batman's path in a small smoke and fog-filled alley. The stalker gets away, but Batman retrieves a small pin that only members of one of Gotham's most exclusive clubs would have. Eventually, Bruce is suspected of being the Riddler after people notice him uh, conveniently around all murders and that he's a member of the club. Uh, Gordon arrests him and sends him to Blackgate. Knowing the GCPD can't solve the case without him, he escapes his handcuffs using a method he claims was taught to him by Houdini. Uh, before Bruce is found by the police, Batman and Robin solve the next clue and capture the Riddler red-handed, leading to his arrest. After Batman eventually catches the Riddler, the Riddler asks how he solves his Riddler so riddles so fast, and Batman replies that he had a mentor when he was young, telling, once you eliminate the impossible, whatever remains, no matter how improbable, must be the truth. Uh, and, like, and I would structure this movie so you see the Riddler planning the riddles and killing his victims because everyone is going to go in knowing that the killer is the Riddler. There's really no hiding it. But the riddles will be written in a way that people watching the movie can solve them and try to see if they can figure them out before Batman and the GCPD uh, to figure out the next victim. So yeah, I kind of went a similar route as Johnny. He based his off of Batman Ninja. I based mine off of a little bit Gotham by Gaslight, but instead I wanted to take out uh, Jack the Ripper, because I'd rather see Batman fight one of his, you know, known actual villains than a real guy, and I put the Riddler in there, and that's my pitch. Both good choices. I think you guys both did a good job drawing from specific influences. Batman has such a good variety of lines. You guys picked some good that aren't just like the Dark Knight Returns, and you're one of the ones you've seen over and over again. So I like that in both your pitches. Uh, what are your thoughts, Bobby, after hearing both pitches? Well, I mean, I really don't need to hear anything specific other than them fighting because you, you pretty much have Batman 
as a ninja and Batman in a noir detective story. And I like both those pitches a lot. Uh, I just need to hear more about each one as they fight and maybe some takedowns that I'm not really thinking of right now. Yeah, I'm going to give you guys a whole five minutes to argue it out. And I'll interrupt you with a two-minute warning to get a last statement from each of you guys. But it should be a good argument. Some really good pitches on both sides this time. We can start with Joe. Johnny's been starting a lot. All right, so my main two things against Johnny's is, number one, like people, like for the longest time, have been clamoring for a more detective-style Batman, which is something I feel like we haven't really gotten. Like, that's the number one thing I see is, like, that's the one complaint about, like, the Dark Knight trilogy is we never really saw him as a detective. We did kind of already see him as a ninja a little bit. And then my other thing against Johnny's is, like, using, you know, the American names in, you know, Japan, I feel like is something that could work in a comic and works in an animation. But I think if I were to see that in live action, every time, you know, I see an Asian guy in Japan and they refer to him as Bruce or they just call a guy, like, Master Deathstroke, I feel like it could take me out of the movie. And so that's where, those are my two main things. It's hard because I don't really know his cast that well to go against his cast or his director, but those, you know, storyline-wise are my main two. And another thing is, like, he has Batman's origin in there, and I feel like I've seen his origin 800 times, so I really don't need to see it again. Your mic's muted. That screen told me that, too. I think if you're telling Batman in a, in a whole new like uh, period piece, I think it's okay to have his origin and mine's only going to be kind of glanced over in the you know very beginning. It's not like a one we've seen before where they're leaving the theater. It kind of establishes where we are, what time period we're in. They're in a stagecoach and they're attacked by bandits rather than just walking down the theater and you don't have the pearls you know falling and all that stuff that we've seen a million times. Um, the other thing is what I want to do with mine. Um, is I, I kind of took this out because I felt like this is just something I could have easily addressed in my pitch or in my uh, argument is Alfred is going to kind of explain like his scene with Alfred is going to explain that his family was one of the most successful families in America. Bruce was born in America. The reason he came to Japan was because he had never been there. Um, he doesn't know his heritage, but that's why he has an American name. His family changed their name to make it um, in the country with their business because uh, they own a successful trading company. So that's the reason that he is Bruce Wayne, but everyone else, I changed their names. And the other thing I want to do with this, which Tristan can kind of um, understand this because he's seen the show Warrior that I've been watching. They did this really well, though. If you've ever seen um, The Hunt for Red October, they show people having a conversation in a different language and then like the camera flips and they're talking in English. That's kind of the way to show and establish that Yes, they're in Japan, they're speaking Japanese, but for the general audience, because this is a film for, you know, the whole, you know, world, we're going to make them speak English. And I pick people that can actually, like, do that. Like, while Manny Jacinto and Andrew Koji are both um, Asian actors, they can both speak perfect English without that being a problem. Um, so I, I went with actors that can kind of have the look, but do that. And that's kind of how I want to address that point. Um and I, and I think that could work well. So you'll have a few lines of dialogue in Japanese, but for the most part, the film will be in English because this is a Batman film. Um, and the other thing is, um, for for Joe's, he mentioned the one thing everyone's clamoring for is Batman to be a detective. I think that's second. I think the number one thing that people want to see and the number one thing I want to see um, from Batman is him to show some actual fight skills because we never see that in any of his movies. There's no good fight scene you can point to in a Batman movie. There's not one. The closest we come to are him fighting with swords against Ra's al Ghul in Batman Begins. At least you have some elements of him being a detective, like in The Dark Knight with the bullet um, and things like that. That's really all you can really draw from. But 
if I was choosing between going to see a kind of more of a slow paced detective Batman film or Batman to actually be like the badass character that can, you know, take out anyone and has this martial arts training, we never get to see that. Like he's always in these, these outfits that he can't move his neck. So you never actually get to see him like take dudes out in a cool way. So I think that's the number one thing that most people are clamoring for. They want to see Batman do that. Um, so I, I am taking the detective element out, but I feel like your movie's not going to have many good fight scenes. And the other thing um, is, I, I think you had a good story there, but I don't like the Riddler being a serial killer. I like the Riddler best when he is giving clues to kind of give away the plans of someone else, or he has like a lackey. You have one of the greatest serial killer characters in all of comic book history in Victor Zaz. All you have to do is have him be the serial killer and, and the Riddler is giving away the next locations of him. I don't love the Riddler. Like, I like the Riddler as kind of the mastermind behind things. I don't want him to be murdering people. We never really see that element of him. And yeah, Victor Zaz is maybe not the most well-known character, but all the people that are clamoring for a detective Batman film are the people that know who Victor Zaz is. Like, you're you're clamoring for things that the hardcore Batman fans are clamoring for. So throw in a character that is actually a serial killer. He's like the Batman version of Jack the Ripper, and you've just replaced the Jack of the Ripper with the Riddler, and you cut... You cut out like the the interesting character that you could have had. I'd rather have a scary serial killer and the Riddler giving away clues that they're doing, and you kind of have that dynamic of Batman taking down a couple people. Um, so, you know, I, I chose a story that fits my villain because Deathstroke is more of the guy that's going to fight Batman hand to hand combat, and you kind of change the elements of your character too much for me. And the Riddler is one of my favorite villains ever, but I don't want to see him be a serial killer. Yeah, I think, I mean, it's just from what I've seen and from what I want, I feel like, you know, everything I've seen from people is, you know, I, people may want a, you know, ninja style movie, but from what I've seen is people wanting a, you know, detective style noir movie. That's, you know, as far as I've seen. And like all of these movies, like however they are, have changed elements of these characters. Like Batman Begins combined Henry Descartes and you know, Ra's al Ghul, these characters, whenever they put them in live action, especially if they were, like, to put them in the timeline, have adapted these characters and changed these characters. Like, even the storyline I took from Gotham by Gaslight, it's revealed at the end that Commissioner Gordon is Jack the Ripper. So, like, you know, these stories and these, which is not what I wanted to do, but these, you know, Elseworld kind of stories have changed elements of these characters before. You know, it's not unheard of that. It's they, they've they've changed elements, but not the not the core of who the character is. Like, yeah, maybe maybe the Jim Gordon being a serial killer thing does, but that's probably the weakest part of that whole story. I think I think with the Riddler, he's at the core of his character. He wants to be caught by Batman. He wants Bat. He the only person in the world that can solve his riddles is Batman. I don't need Batman finding him at the end and the Riddler being. How did you find me? He is up for the challenge. He wants to be defeated by Batman. He wants. Victor Zaz to be caught, but he wants to do riddles and clue him in and test Batman and toy with him and play games with him. He's not the guy that's going out there and doing the dirty work. He is the the you know the character behind the yeah, scenes. Just, hey Johnny, with him. just to interrupt, I don't know if Tristan said I'm pretty set on what 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 I think about the Riddler in this story. Um, yeah, so okay. more arguments on either side, I don't think is really going to affect is there, that is there element. Specific, you guys need to like yeah. hear. This is a yeah. tough one to fight, so give us a direction yeah. if you can. Yeah, any Tristan. ideas for him, Bobby? I'm just in everybody fighting right now. I'm <laughs> getting um, into it. No, I mean, I so personally, I'm pretty set. Like, I think I know where I'm going unless they want to have more points, but there's nothing I can really point to. Like, I need to hear this 
argument. This is ours right. together, though. So if you're not set and you have something you want to hear, let you know. Let them know. I want to hear oh. your thoughts first, Bobby. I want to hear what you have to say, and then I might ask them a question or two. But this is a this is a turning point uh, movie right here. So I want to hear your thoughts. I so, so first, Russ, after Bobby gives yeah. his point too. Yeah, I mean, just personally, right now, um, I, I don't think no matter how well Johnny pitches a ninja movie with Batman, that personally, that's just not something that interests me as much going back to the 1700s and, and doing a ninja movie than a noir Batman, which sounds a lot more interesting. So to me, that that kind of won it with just the pitch. Um, and then the Riddler, I'm good, like, I'm okay when you go back into a and do an Elseworld type story, changing him to be a serial killer. So I'm good with that. Personally, um, Johnny's would be fun, but I would be way more excited if I saw a trailer for Joe's movie. Interesting thought. I like that Joe's does that kind of detective story. I do agree with him that we haven't gotten a ton of Batman as detective in the movies. I think that was something that was really. Uh, done well in the Arkham Asylum and Arkham City games. It's almost like a detective thriller more than an action game. And Johnny does sound like a really good, fun, exciting movie. I think he tricked me into watching Warrior uh, so that I would know that his cast would be good. But I like his cast. I like that he went made it a ninja movie. But I do just think that Joe sounds more like what I would be excited for. We've seen Batman do good action scenes a lot. Like he had a really awesome warehouse scene in BVS. Yeah. He's had a couple of good BVS scenes that I really liked. And regardless of whether you like the movie or not, I think there was some good action in that. I think the Dark Knight had some of the most iconic Batman action scenes you've seen in a long time. So I think we've seen Batman as an action hero, but seeing Batman as a detective is what really won me over on Joe's. So I'm going to go with Joe on this one. Yeah, other things I could have brought up, but what I was really going to come down to is personal preference of the judges. Do you want to see an action one or a detective? Yeah, that's basically. Yeah, it really was that. It was all that because I, I think Johnny's would be a fun movie. It's just even that comic didn't, and that movie or like that storyline just didn't interest me that much to even really well, pay that much attention the to thing, it. So. The thing about it, like, two like other things, you know, I could have addressed, but in the end of the day, I don't think it would have changed minds. Is I thought Batman Ninja was cool, but it has to do with time travel and it's pretty weird. And then they build these robots and stuff. And I'm like, the whole time I'm watching it, I was just like, man, I'd love to see like an actual Batman samurai film. So that's kind of why I took like one element of that and just kind of embraced it. And Joe stuck pretty faithfully to one story that is pretty popular, probably more popular than mine that more people know about. He got some stuff in my gaslight. So I understand it. I, it was, it's tough to fight when it just like, I go see Joe's movie. I'd go see my movie. And it comes down to, do you want to see Batman have good action scenes? Like, build off what we, like, the only good scene in all of uh, BBS? Or do you want to see him, you know, be a detective and, you know, kind of a slower-paced one? Yeah. My dream Batman movie... Debate. My, my dream Batman... But my dream Batman movie is what I pitched to Joe, was Victor Zaz being the serial killer. You get to see Batman being... Um, an actual detective, and then Riddler is the one giving clues. That's that's my dream movie. So Joe almost hit it. If I he think was, I was going to do more similar to that, but I feel like my pitch was already long enough as it was that I'm just like I'm just going to keep it one villain. Yeah, kind of. Yeah, which I'm good with, for, especially for for a movie that's a, a noir piece like that. I'm okay changing it. If it was like the modern, you're setting up a world and you're making Riddler as a serial killer in that one. 
and yes. you know maybe i'll have an issue with it i get that all right so we have what three movies left we have green lantern we have the phantom and we have x-men first class i'm up three to one and it's my choice so um you know what i'm gonna go with um again this is a I guess this is a little shorter than my other one. So let's go with X-Men First Class. And I'm going to have Joe go first. All right, this is another of my longer ones. This might be my longest. Oh, no, not far off. This might be my longest one. All right, X-Men First Class 2011. It's one of the, by a mile, the most critically acclaimed movie of the episode, but one of the more critically acclaimed X-Men movies with an 86% on Rotten Tomatoes. I think it's the only fresh movie of the whole episode. Set in 1962, this is the fifth movie in the X-Men franchise, but it serves as a prequel and kind of a soft reboot. So this is the one that tells the foundations of the two opposing teams of powerful mutants, uh, Magneto's Brotherhood of Mutants and Professor Charles Xavier's X-Men. And we're basically getting the first-class story. Uh, Marvel's iconic team debuted in X-Men number one in 1963, and it's grown into one of the most iconic and recognized uh, brands in all of comic books. So you have a huge cast character support from some really iconic storylines, and I'm really excited to hear what you guys are going to do with it. All right, now I'm going first? Yeah. Mm -hmm. All right, so my director, and this you'll probably figure out what rule and how I, what I'm doing rather quickly, but my director is David uh, Tosh Itanga, who directed Nairobi Half-Life, which is uh, basically considered like the best critically acclaimed movie to ever come out of Kenya. My Aurora Monroe is uh, Sheila... Maniva, who uh, started the movie Rafiki, which is the first Kenyan film screened at Cannes. Uh, my Nadir is going to be played by Lupita Nyong'o. My Sebastian Shaw is going to be played by Benjamin A. Onyanego, who was in Tears of the Sun, voiced a character in the Resident Evil 5 game, and this was in a number of X-Files episodes. And so if you haven't realized, I'm making my X-Men First Class a foreign film, specifically a Kenyan film that will mostly be in Swahili. So the plot of my movie follows a young Aurora who is the daughter of Princess Nadir. When Aurora is in her mid-teens, their home is attacked by a missile, killing her mother and father. With no home or parents, the young girl with silver dreadlocks is forced to live on the streets of Nairobi when she becomes an exceptional pickpocket. At one point, she steals from a tall, bald man who catches her and speaks to her in Swahili without moving his lips. This causes her to freak out and run away. A few years later, on the outskirts of uh, Nairobi, Aurora and her friends are growing extremely thirsty. Before Aurora passes out from thirst, her eyes turn white and it begins to rain. She is seen as a witch and ostracized by her friends, who mockingly refer to her as Storm. She is all alone and begins to have dreams of the bald man she saw. Not long after, she soon finds herself running errands for Sebastian Shaw, who runs all of the crime in Nairobi. Aurora also begins to practice her newfound ability. She can make any day bright and sunny or rainy and stormy. She once even made it snow after hearing a cover of Bing Crosby's White Christmas in Swahili on Christmas Eve. Uh, she is caught by Shaw, who forces her to show him her abilities. Feeling frightened, she tries to use a lightning bolt to kill Shaw, but he absorbs the power. Uh, Shaw says that Aurora, he will never let Aurora get away from him. Uh, she has another vision of the bald man, but this time she is awake and he is sitting in front of her in a wheelchair. He tells her that he has spent years looking for her after their first encounter and that she isn't alone. The next day, Aurora is approached by the bald man who introduces himself as Charles Xavier. He says he is very much like her and knows others like her. 
In the background, we see a jet with a young Cyclops based angel, Jean Grey, and others. Uh, Charles says he is a professor and he is starting a school for people like them, people who are gifted and feel alone. Uh, Gina admires Aurora's hair. Aurora says she would like to go, but she can't because of Shaw. Charles then says that it's time for her first class. The X-Men and Aurora raid Shaw's compound and defeat him, and Aurora leaves with the X-Men, and that is my pitch. Nice pitch. I'm, I'm excited to hear Johnny's and then get into the argument. I'm already excited to hear you defend that one. Yeah, I have some notes on that one. Um, I went a different direction with Joe because I think um, this was the one that we've seen the most of. This is like more films in the franchise than a lot of the others, and we've seen everything. We've seen the background story of most of the characters. We've seen um, Professor X and Magneto's uh, relationship. We've seen the good and the bad and the great and the awful as far as the X-Men franchise. But what we have never seen outside of one small little scene in X-Men 3 is the X-Men using the fucking danger room, which is one of the coolest aspects in comics. So my X-Men first class is going to be a short film, and it's going to take place inside the danger room. So I'm going to give you my director. Um, That is going to be Lorraine Nicholson, who did a couple little short films called Lifeboat. And then more importantly, she did one called On Killer Robots. Um, she was one of the only short film directors I found that did something sci-fi, um, and, you know, a little, uh, uh, more like CGI and, and use out of that. So my Cyclops is going to be played by Kyle Allen. He was in, uh, American Horror Story, and he is probably most famous for, he is going to be in the upcoming West Side Story as I think the lead character. And he's been in a ton of short films throughout his career. My Marvel girl, a.k.a. Jean Grey, is going to be played by Micah Monroe, who is the lead in It Follows, and she's been in a couple of short films as well. My Beast is going to be um, played by uh, Moises Arias, who was in Monos and King of Staten Island and a lot of shorts like On Killer Robots with my director. Um, He was also a Disney Channel star, I think, but he uh, has, you know, changed his career quite a bit since then. My Angel is going to be played by Dakari Montgomery, who is in Stranger Things and Power Rangers, and he's been in a ton of short films in his career as well. My Iceman is going to be played by Mina Musad, who is Aladdin, and most of his career has been in short films. So I um, stuck with the original X-Men, the actual first class of X-Men. Storm was created later. A lot of the other characters like Wolverine were later. Um, I stuck with the original... um, what is it? One, two, three, four, yeah, five X-Men that were in the original X-Men comic books. And then my Professor X is going to be played by Stanley Tucci. And my Magneto is going to be played by Tamara Morrison, who is probably most famous for being Jango Fett and Boba Fett in The Mandalorian. Um, So this is my film. Um, The short is a danger room session with the original five X-Men fighting Sentinels. And um, you really get to see them work together and show off their powers. This shows what we have rarely gotten to see in the entire X-Men franchise, the team training together and using teamwork to take out villains. Something I feel like, like Joe mentioned with the detective stuff with Batman, this is something people have been clamoring for and we never really got. We also get more of the old school costumes. I really want to play into that. And since this is a short and not a big franchise movie, you can really put everyone in their old school looks. You can do the blue and yellow outfits and the skin tight on people and, and, and it can work better. Um, cause it's not like setting up a big franchise. The other thing, um, with it is 
you get to see everyone's powers on display. And then when they finish, so they, they destroy the Sentinels, which are going to look like the old school Sentinels, not like the Days of Future Past Sentinels. Um, it's going to cut to Magneto uh, standing outside the room, looking through the window with Professor X. Professor X says, Eric, I think they might be ready. And Magneto turns and says, Charles, they better be. And that's really all that Professor X and Magneto are in there for. I don't need their dynamic anymore. We've gotten that over and over again. And mean, and while that is pretty interesting, um, I want to focus on just showing off the powers of the of the X-Men and doing something we haven't really seen before because everything else has been done, whether good or bad. Um, and we haven't really gotten just like the danger room fight scenes where you get to see Iceman freeze someone while Beast jumps through them and smashes them. Um, and things like that. And I think that could work well. That's the short I want to do. It's going to be probably around like 30-ish minutes. Um, And and it's just going to be like a cool little action scene um, that shows off some X-Men and and actors that I think can, um, that look the part and can play them well in the short amount of time they have to do so. So that's my film. All right. I like that pitch too. X-Men, good pitch from both of you guys. Bobby, do you have any thoughts for him before we get right into the arguments? Yeah, I'll, I'll kind of show my cards here to kind of lead into the arguments. Um, I think Johnny's, um, I know exactly what yours would be and would look like, and I think that would be great. But I think it has, like, I think it's at the ceiling for me. I don't really know if you can make your sound any better as you go, but it's it sounds great. And Joe's, I think yours could has the potential to be better than Johnny's by quite a bit or a lot worse, depending on the fight. Um, and I don't really have any specifics it's more just i want to hear more about your movie um why you went your direction and uh kind of you know why storm is the person you really wanted to focus on and and what how you really focus on that character leading into the x-men but i mean it's more you guys can fight you can kind of address a little bit of that right away but it's more a general sense is that i really understand johnny's and joe's has the potential to be better than that but it also you know could be a lot worse yeah i want to get a good get a good picture of Joe's too. I want to get a good idea of why Storm was your choice as the guide into this franchise. And you did change it up a bit. So it's not quite about like the first class coming together as a team. It's as much, I'm not necessarily knocking you on that, but I'd like to get some of your thoughts on why you didn't follow the first class storyline as much as Johnny did. His kind of still feels like it's the first X-Men class getting ready together. I, uh, part of that is like, we have that movie and like, it's, you know, pretty solid movie. I really like it. To me, it's one of the better X-Men movies. I feel like even if you just switched out, you know, the characters like Johnny did and make it more of like the initial actual first class, to an extent, the story's still kind of the same. And I kept some elements to keep it similar to how, so it still feels like a reboot of first class. Like I brought Sebastian Shaw back as the villain. And one of the things I wanted to do was at the end of it, it was um, Storm's like first class as an X-Men. So you kind of have like that little play on words and one of the reasons I wanted to focus on Storm is she you know eventually becomes leader of the X-Men and for the most part the X-Men has been the Wolverine show she's kind of been pushed to the background so I thought especially when you have the X-Men are a story about you know these persecuted groups and these groups that you know are shoved kind of to the sidelines of society because they're like representative you know of black people or like the LGBTQ community I thought it'd be good to like focus on someone who is actually in one of those groups to be kind of the focus and center of my movie. So that's part of why I decided to go the storm route. Yeah, I like that answer. Originally I wasn't I was debating between this and Venom. I was gonna make Venom my, 
you know, foreign South Korean film, and I was just going to make this a um, basically the same story, but ultimately at the end of the day, I switched it, and I decided I was just going to make this a foreign film. So, Yeah, I like Storm as a focus. I want to hear you guys argue it out, because like Bobby said, uh, Johnny, I got a good picture of your movie, so it'll all be about kind of defending it against Joe's and bringing down some of Joe's points, but I want to get more from Joe, so I'm going to have Joe start out and just tell us why is your movie better than anybody else's? Yeah, I think my movie's good. Number one, like I said, it focuses on a character that's, for the most part, been sidelined. I think we lost Tristan. I don't know if he could still... Oh, okay, he left Buddy, so yes. Um, I think it'd be a new, interesting, different take, especially like a foreign take, like with someone from Kenya who doesn't have like the American view, the American kind of Western view like i feel like they would bring something new and different to a franchise that we already have you know like 10 plus movies in and it would give us new faces to see where i feel like johnny's you know his short film that's in you know the danger room could almost potentially feel like a deleted scene or something from the original x-men first class and i feel like i don't know like sure that might be something that you know fans have been asking for but I, I don't know how like great or amazing it could be where I feel like my movie could be, you know, a really interesting different take on the X-Men. All right. So my biggest problem with Joe's movie is you made it a Kenyan film about the X-Men. Like what kind of budget do you think you're throwing out here? You're not going to have any special effects so you can get rid of any of Storm's powers. You have to find a day where it rains and then like, oh, Storm made it rain. Kenyan films are not like these, you know, big budget. It, it, it's a it's a market that's been making movies for a long time. You know, you have famous films like Rafiki and Baraka, and even the one you mentioned with uh, um, with uh, the Nairobi Half Life. But Nairobi Half Life, if you ever have actually seen that, it's a kid that wants to be an actor and then is left, you know, is basically tricked and left in a town that. Um, is like dangerous and it's you know because they're tricked by someone in their and their money stolen nothing in uh kenya tells me that yeah they have the budget to make an x-men movie it's all very low budget it's not a big market for for film um so i don't believe that they could do a storm movie and do it justice unless you you know if you pick if you picked i understand the wanting to focus on storm but you should have picked a different market because it doesn't make any sense with Kenya. Like if you look at Baraka, it's a very small budget movie. That's probably one of the most famous movies that has come out of that country. And it's, um, I believe if I'm uh, thinking the right one, it's either that or Rafiki are are about child soldiers and like things like that. Like those are the type of movies that come out of Kenya, not, you know, Storm using her lightning powers and things like that. And Sebastian Shaw absorbing energy. Like that would look childish if you went with a budget made from the country that you're putting on, um, and, and obviously, you know, you need to see that with, with X-Men. I, I think that's the problem with making this one set where you did it. If you made this a Korean film or a Chinese film or a Japanese film, and you had the budget to, to do so and show off powers and things that's important for X-Men. You know, that's a reason that, um, when I first looked at this, I was like, maybe the eighties, but I was like, no, the CGI doesn't hold up. You can't really put that in the eighties. So I think that affects it. So uh, your movie would never like we talked about this is like a fantasy world where you're making this movie. Your movie would never actually be made because it couldn't possibly be made with the budget that it needs to, to get to what you pitched. Um, the other thing is again, like storm is a great character, but why again, like, 
make it an American film about Storm as the as the focus. Your movie is not X Men First Class. Your movie is Storm, the X Men Origins. Like it, it's not about the first class of X Men. It's just what they planned on doing until they failed with Wolverine X Men Origins. Of we're going to take one character, we're going to focus around them, and we're going to do it. X Men First Class started as we're going to do a Magneto film, and then they changed things along the way adapted the script better, made it more of an X-Men film and threw characters in to adjust to that, to make it, you know, more generally accepted to the wider, wider audiences. Um, and the best part of that movie is Magneto. So I get what you're doing, but it, it's not realistic. And um, it just, it's not X-Men first class. It's just like a random storm movie made in Kenya that no one will see. It's going to be marketed. Um, whereas mine, I think you could, you could market this. You could throw mine on Disney Plus as kind of way into the X-Men. Um, and maybe it's not the characters you choose for the MCU, but it's something that could actually be made and it could have the budget to do so if Disney's behind it or if any you know decent studio's behind it. If Fox was still a thing, they could produce this. Um, and you'd get aspects that you've never seen before. Um, I've never seen a King Sentinel in an X-Men movie other than X3 in that little film. I want to expand that, but I want to use characters that make more sense. And um, I want it to actually be X-Men First Class. Your movie would never actually be titled X-Men First Class. It doesn't make sense even just because you threw the line First Class at the end. So, I don't know. I just I think you just made a random movie and then made a rule around it because you couldn't figure out where to put it. It doesn't seem like your pitch matches anything else you did. Do you have any thoughts, Joe, to bring up? I want to hear some of your last thoughts, then get some of Bobby's thoughts on this. I mean, yeah, as far as, like, the budget and technology, I mean, number one, we kind of, you know, skirted the rules of, like, what, you know, fits, like, oh, this person could cast with this, blah, blah, blah. My thing is, like, with her powers, a lot of it is you just did it rain that day. Like, what was the uh, Gareth Evans movie? Not, I can't remember, but it was basically about the aftermath after, like, you know, aliens invaded or monsters invaded and then it was like they would look for a natural disaster and they would go there like there are ways to do a movie like this with her powers of controlling the weather and all that where you can do it on a budget like some of the best you know uses of interesting like terminator was a sci-fi movie made on a super low budget like there are ways around it in america and hollywood with a big name director yeah, but this could you could I could make the point that this could be the first like movie that puts Kenyan movies on the map. They just recently had like the movie I referenced earlier had the this like first movie screened at Cannes Film Festival. The movie you referenced earlier came out in 2012. Either way, it's still a growing film market. I mean, oh, maybe in terms of what's going to festivals and stuff. Yeah, they have an entry every year for foreign film and things like that, but nothing that resembles what you pitch. And like um, nothing that's having Sebastian Shaw absorbing lightning and, and making that look real. Like, you know, you could do your movie, but it'd be with the effects of like the birds. I mean, not the birds, but like uh birdemic and things like that, like a sci-fi movie. Like there's ways to do it, but you just don't have the money to, to make it look real. And I think that is a problem when it comes to X-Men. I think, I think with X-Men, it's all about showing off the powers and the abilities and, I think even the first X-Men movie holds up pretty well because they didn't try to outdo themselves. They didn't try to make anything look, um, you know, like things that they didn't have the technology to do at that time or the money to do at that time. They didn't. So that movie still holds up. You can watch it and you're not like, Oh, this movie feels dated. Your movie, if it was made, let's say it is would come out and you'd be like, this feels like it is super dated. Like this feels like a nineties movie with like 
bad special effects just made on like a MacBook. So mm-hmm. I think that's a problem. But to me, the thing with X Men that I feel like is more important is like the you know the messages and the themes and all that, where your movie just feels like, oh, cool, the Sentinel. Oh, cool, like look at these characters from original X-Men lineup in the short film like I don't know if that has a lot of like the themes and the stuff that has made X-Men popular over the years of like feeling like outcast and you know feeling ostracized and yeah but we've gotten that over and over again and it's worked and it hasn't worked but the thing we haven't gotten is what I pitched and I just want to see if I'm doing a short film of the X-Men I'm going to do something that just we haven't really seen before um and then it ends with you questioning oh what are they preparing for like what comes next what what is this leading to I think I think that is something that that would excite people when it ends. It would have everything, um, you know, grab popcorn and watch a 30-minute short and enjoy enjoy yourself. I'm not trying to make the Malcolm X um, MLK relationship that you know, the Professor X and Magneto were based off of because we've seen that a lot and it's done very well when it's done right, but we've seen it all. I wanted to do the only thing in X-Men I feel like we haven't really seen um, before they introduce these characters fully into the MCU. All right. I want to get some thoughts on Bobby. We've heard a lot of arguing on this one. I'll let him go for a while because they both had some pretty good pitches, but I want to hear your thoughts, Bobby, and then get into my brewing. Yeah. And, and like I said before, like Johnny's movie, I never got a different picture of his, like, I think it would be really fun. I'd love to see the danger zone. Um, and I think that's a perfect way to use a short film. Uh, Joe, yours has a lot of potential. I just didn't quite get, I think Johnny made a very good point with the effects um and i but that wasn't like a deciding factor but that was a good knock um and just the fact that it it you t- you tried to take you know some elements from first class like sebastian shaw i don't think is a very important piece to bring into a new version of a first class movie but that kind of just made it for you because your pitch is very different try to tie it to that um so i don't think it fully just kind of came together for me and i think johnny's would just be a really fun watch that i'd like to see happen in a x-men new movie at some point anyways, is a training scene. So um, I'm personally leaning Johnny. I did like Joe's pitch, but uh, it just didn't fully cohesively come together for me. Yeah, I'm feeling about the same. I think Johnny pitched a really good uh, short film idea. I wasn't quite sure how that rule would work on the episode, but I think you did it pretty well. People have been kind of clamoring for the return of the X-Men, even though it's only been a couple of years since the last X-Men movie. But now that it's under Disney, they're waiting for what's going to be next. And I feel like if this was to drop on Disney Plus or something like that, it would be something that would really get a lot of attention. It'd be like, here's the return of the X-Men. They're just doing some cool action. They're fighting and fighting all these iconic uh, powers and these iconic villains. And we're going to see a scene with more. And I guess like a kind of cool, fun setup that I'm really enjoying. Uh, the use of that rule. So I'm leaning towards Johnny on that one. Joe, I, I feel similarly about Bobby, that Bobby said. Yours is conceptually cool, but I think as soon as Johnny put any pressure on it, it kind of fell apart right on on its face a little bit. Because <laughs> as soon as you start questioning, oh, Kenya, oh, the budget, oh, this and that, you didn't seem to have much lined up to defend it. So I'm going to have to, unfortunately, as much as it hurts to give a win to Johnny, I'm giving him another point here. God damn yeah, right. that makes it 4-1. Johnny gets the win, but now Joe is fighting to uh, not have a repeater rule. Uh, for the I'm, next, looking, next I'm looking for goal. my second 6-1 victory. All right, well, last so Joe, a little bit. where are you going What's, next? What are, what are our last two? Oh, the Phantom? Uh, Green Lantern and the Phantom. <laughs> Some great uh, movies. 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's That's nice. Solid picks. All right, I'll do. I'll do the Green Lantern, and I'll just go first, I guess. Oh God, Green Lantern! I just watched this for the first time a couple of days ago, and I don't recommend watching it ever. Uh, came out in 2011, so obviously the Ryan Reynolds Green Lantern. It's his first leading role as a superhero, but he was just Deadpool in X-Men Origins like a couple of years before this. And it got a 26% on Rotten Tomatoes. Another bomb for Ryan Reynolds right after uh, X-Men. And Green Lantern tells the story of Hal Jordan, a test pilot who was selected to become the first human member of the Green Lantern Corps, played, of course, by Ryan Reynolds. Hal is given a ring that grants him superpowers, and he must confront Parallax, who threatens to upset the balance of power in the universe. Green Lantern is a fan-favorite DC character who has never quite been done well on the big screen screen, or really on any screen. He was first seen in All-American Comics in 1940, and we're still waiting on a great Green Lantern movie. Hopefully, one of you guys got the great one. And Joe, you're up first, so pitch us a good Green Lantern movie. All right, so uh, we'll see how this goes. My director is Richard Donner because I'm setting this movie, making this movie as an 80s movie, specifically 1988, uh, which would be the year in between Lethal Weapon 1 and Lethal Weapon 2. Uh, my Hal Jordan is going to be played by Harrison Ford. My John Stewart is going to be played by Lawrence Fishburne. And I'm introducing the character uh, Voltum, who's going to be played by Mel Gibson. Uh, when Green Lantern Guy Gardner is injured, one of the Guardians tasks Hotshot Green Lantern Hal Jordan with finding his replacement. The Guardian leads Hal to John Stewart, a former Marine turned architect who is standing up to a police officer. Hal explains the job to John, who, to whom he teaches the oath. Hal gives John a Green Lantern ring and constructs him a costume. However, John takes off the mask, stating he has nothing to hide. Uh, throughout the movie, you'll have the dichotomy between two different lanterns. You'll have Hal Jordan, the older lantern, who plays by his olden rules. Then you have Jon Stewart, who is much younger and is very much by the book. I wanted the tone and feel to be that of a cop movie, but they are just space cops. Uh, the plot of my movie will be them investigating weird occurrences that happen using various uh, ring energies on different planets in their sector. Uh, using clues, they will discover that it is Voltum, the first being to wield the power ring. Uh, and has the abilities of every power ring. Uh, he is many millennia years old and has gone insane. And, you know, that's my pitch. I picked the guy who drew it for like 30 years, had directed the best superhero movies and directed uh, one of the best buddy cop movies and, you know, kind of combined them together for a buddy cop superhero movie. And that's my pitch. <clears throat> I'm happy with that one. What do you got, Johnny, for Green Lantern? All right. So, Joe and I went different directions with this. Um, I'm excited because Joe's rule that's left is the one that I'm doing now. And I'm very interested to see what he, how he used it. Um, so I am setting Green Lantern from the villain's perspective. Um, because I'm basing it off my favorite character um, in all of Green Lantern. And that is Atrocitus. Which, if anyone has played Injustice uh, Part 2, he is in there. Um my director is Jennifer Kent, who did The Babadook and The Nightingale. My Atrocitus is played by Toby Kebbell, who was in Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. He was Joe's Daredevil, but he is great at motion capture, and that is going to be my Atrocitus. is going to be a motion capture character. Um, my Hal Jordan is going to be played by someone who I think will very soon be a superhero, um, is Rob McElhenney from It's Always Sunny and Mythic Quest. The dude's Jack now. He's definitely prepping for something. 
Um, him and Glenn Howerton, both from Atelier Sunny, have been in contention for superhero roles before, and he has the wittiness um, and the look of a good Hal Jordan. Um, but honestly, Hal Jordan's not very important to my movie because it's uh, shot from uh, Atrocitus's perspective. Um, and then my movie is going to have the five inversions. And just to give you guys a little description of them, they're alien-like creatures with power. They're basically like space sorcerers, and they are going to be a combination of practical effects and CGI. And when they speak, it's like a low, growly tone, and their words will be subtitled because they don't actually speak real um, English words. So this is my film. The film start, starts off in Sector 666 on Planet Riot. A race of highly advanced beings with red skin and demon-like features um, uh, are the ones on this planet. A man, revealed to be Atrocitus, comes home uh, to his family and greets his wife and two children. Soon followed by the sound of loud explosions, Atrocitus runs outside to see a force of manhunters wiping out everything in their path. He grabs his family and makes a run for it. They hide away together but are soon interrupted by a manhunter. There is a fight scene where Atrocitus is dragged away from his family, but he fights back and kills the manhunter before a nearby explosion knocks him unconscious and buries him in rubble. The, scene, the screen fades to black. You hear the rumbling of stone and steel being pushed aside, and Atrocitus climbs out of the collapsed building. He frantically searches for his family, calling out to them, um, and he's surrounded by the dead bodies of his people. He finds his family dead on the street uh, nearby their former ha hiding spot. His face fills with rage. One month later, Atrocitus is alone on his planet. There has been no sign of another life form um, since the invasion. Then he sees something coming in the distance, flying towards him. A group of five men wearing green, um, wearing uh, green, come flying towards him. They tell him he is the first life form they have found in the entire sector. Um, some entire planets have even been destroyed. Atrocitus asks who they are and why they are here now. They explain that they are members of the Green Lantern Corps and are responsible for keeping each sector safe. This sector seems to have all been massacred by the Manhunters, but they do not know why. Atrocitus fills with rage again and starts to attack. The Lanterns fight back, but are no match for the powerful being. He kills all five of them. Having seen the Lantern summon weapons and shields from the rings they are wearing, he slides one off with their finger and holds it in his hand. As he holds it, he feels rage, and the ring starts to change. The ring in his hand changes from green to red. He collects all the rings and puts one on. As he does, the four other, now red rings, float in the air and shoot off in the distance. Then, with the blood of the lantern on his hand, he starts to see a vision. The film cuts to Atrocitus wearing the red ring and fighting another green lantern. But this feels different. The two are fighting for life and death. The film cuts back to Atrocitus wearing his new ring. He feels power like never before and feels his rage intensify. Having seen into the future for some reason, he realizes the power he now holds and he flies into space. So that's kind of like my opening, maybe first half of the movie and the quick summary of the rest because I didn't want to just like write a three-page movie script. Um, the, um, is Atrocitus having uh, filled the rings with rage. That's why they turn red. The red lantern corpse is uh, based on rage, whereas green lanterns are filled with willpower. Um, they seek out the only four life forms that are left in the sector, and they form the five inversions. All five of their planets have been wiped out by manhunters who are controlled by the guardians. The five hunt down and kill the guardians and any manhunter they come across. 
Atrocitus realizes he can use blood to see into the future, and this shows the fight with Green Lantern, Hal Jordan. Um, the film ends with Atrocitus seeing him standing tall over the fallen members of five inversions and a peek into the blackest night, the end of days. Realizing this is his destiny, he kills the other members of his group and starts the true Red Lantern Corpse. Atrocitus says, now, Hell Jordan, I wait for you. Cut to credits. That's my Green Lantern film. I based it on my favorite character in probably all of DC and on my favorite character in Green Lantern, Atrocitus. He's a badass. And um, that's that's the movie I want to see. You have some Green Lantern in there, but it's the origin story of uh, his greatest villain. I know a lot of people know Sinestro, but Atrocitus, if you read his story, is the most detailed uh, villain. And uh, he's badass. And it's based on the most popular Green Lantern run written by Jeff Johns, which was the Blackest Night series. So that's what I'm going for here. And that's my movie. I like that. A wordy pitch from Johnny. Always good. He's he's going to get wordy in the argument, too. So it's good to hear him talk a lot on both sides of the pitch. But I do have some questions. But first, I want to go to Bobby and see if he has any questions. Yeah, I guess, um, like, I know your, your movie is based on the villain's perspective, Johnny. But I just kind of want to know why it would be like Green Lantern, like a Green Lantern movie, I guess. Um, if you're like, are you keeping that as the title? Um, like what, so, you know, how's he involved? How is Green Lantern involved in the movie basically? So Green Lantern is involved, like it, it's going to cut to his fight scene based on the future. If you, um, yep. it, in the comics, basically Atrocitus uses it, when he kills people, he can use blood to see in the future. So he's seeing like 200 years in the future with his fight to withheld Jordan. So at the end, he's just like, now we wait. So in a real world, like I know we're rebooting a movie, but if and we're doing it based on villains' perspective, but if I was going to change the title, it would be um, the Green Lantern Corpse Atrocitus. So it would be his name would be in the title, but it would show the corpse, like because you have you know all the different corpses um, of of lanterns, and you have you know the blue, the red, the you know the green of the willpower, the yellow of things. I was going to maybe base this off of Agent Orange and do it based off greed, but I think Atrocitus has a better backstory and is more of a even evil villain. And and I think this is a good way too, because you've already tried to do Green Lantern and it failed. It kind of sets up the universe without having any of the like kind of lame dialogue. And you can kind of jump, the next movie would jump right into Green Lantern and you kind of know what's coming and Atrocitus would be like the final villain he fights. Okay. Uh, and Joe, uh, I really like the idea for your for like for your pitch. My only question is just the uh, the effects because uh, Green Lantern, is, you know, can make anything out of his, you know, out of the ring. And how would that kind of look like? What kind of movies are you going to base that off of at that time that would, you know, have that type of look, the look that you want? Yeah. So like I've, I've thought about this for a while because I'm like I might get fucking torched for this, but like I was thinking it's like a number of years. Cause basically, all the, like it really is is like as far as like the flying and all that shit like superman i feel like those effects did well and this is going to be you know what 11 12 years after the the first superman movie so it's going to be better in that way and then i thought as far as like the glowing we've seen in the star wars movies with the force ghosts that would come out like three and however many years of like the blue glow around that i figured it's the same thing only green and then as far as the constructs like we've seen you know, they're simple, like, 2D, 3D, you know, kind of translucent constructs. They're not these big, you know, fully realized, like, with texture, 
constructs where I feel like that would be a problem, but when they're just like simple green translucent constructs, I feel like it'd be a lot easier to okay. view, especially cool. in that time period. It's like rotoscoping type. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah, I'll say before we even start that I don't think you need to defend the effects, Johnny, I mean, Joe. I think I'm totally buying into your Richard Downer kind of aesthetic of, of Green Lantern. So I don't want to waste time on are the effects going to be good or bad because they're going to be 80s effects and that's just what they're going to be. But I'll be fine with that myself. Yeah, but I, I do have a question. Yeah, yeah, trust it. But I, I think it's a good point. And Johnny, I have a question for you. I mentioned up top that people have been kind of clamoring for a good Green Lantern movie for to finally see the character realize on the big screen. And it's kind of tried to come together a few times over the years and never really has. So I want to hear your justification for making a Green Lantern remake that doesn't... I mean, you, you changed the title, but why did you decide to use the rule on this movie? Why did you make a movie that... Uh, we haven't seen the hero done well on the big screen, so why are you making a villain movie before we've even seen the hero done well? So... I think the, the thing with Green Lantern is, if you look at all the fans, and I'm a big fan of the comics, you have this big debate in the Green Lantern fandom. Who is the best Green Lantern? Is it Hal Jordan? Is it John Stewart? Is it Guy Gardner? But what everyone agrees on is Atrocitus is a fucking amazing character. So I actually think Atrocitus, or even if you were to go and do like a Sinestro film, would be a better introduction into the universe than picking a Green Lantern. Because if you do a Hal Jordan film, all the Guy Gardner fans are going to be mad. If you do a Guy Gardner film, all the Jon Stewart fans are going to be mad. So I think, you know, mine has Hal Jordan in it and because I think that is the most um, important Green Lantern, the most well-known um, one. But I think everyone can kind of agree on Atrocitus. And if you're a fan of Green Lantern, you, you'd be totally down to go see this character that has never been represented on film and he has a bigger following after being in a super popular game like Injustice. You know, he's a character that I think people really researched after such a good property um, that was well-known and, and a very popular game and made a ton of money that people are familiar with his character. And I think people are bigger fans of him more so than Green Lantern um, in, in a certain way because you can't really agree on who the best Green Lantern is, but everyone knows Atrocitus is fucking cool. All right, I like that defense. I, I want to hear you guys argue it out. So I was gonna say, go for it, Joe. I was going to say, as far as like what Johnny said about like Hal Jordan or John Stewart or Guy Gardner, like I have mine, Hal Jordan and John Stewart in my movie, and then I have Guy Gardner. I didn't cast Guy Gardner because he would be just like in the opening like half scene, and you know, it probably for that role would end up being a nobody. And I didn't want to find a guy who was in like six commercials in 1988, so I was just like not going to waste my time. And then I feel like as far as my villain, especially, you know, I looked into it, did a lot of research. I feel like Boltoom is like this weird, crazy, he's got, if you haven't seen him, he's got like bleach white hair, has this weird, like kind of sparkly looking costume. He just feels like straight out of the late 80s. And he's, you know, he's like 10 million years old. And so he's gone crazy. And I thought Mel Gibson would be perfect to play that role at that time. And so I feel like I would, you know, Johnny loves his villain. I love my villain. You know, he said the problem is Hal Jordan or John Stewart or Guy Gardner. I have all three in my movie. So I feel like especially Green Lantern fans would be more interested in a movie that focuses on the Green Lanterns than a movie that focuses on a villain that has the Green Lanterns show up sporadically. I, I disagree. I, I think, I mean, I'm a big Green Lantern fan and I'd be pissed if they did what you did. I'd be like, they ruined the characters. They didn't stay true to the comics. Guy Gardner 
has his own series. John Stewart has his own series, and Hal Jordan has his own series. Why in the, the fuck would I want to see all of them in the same movie? Like that that doesn't make sense to me. It doesn't work for me. Like if you're gonna make an original Green Lantern, make it Abin Sur, and then have you know Hal Jordan take his powers or any of the others. But like as a Green Lantern fan, I would be furious if they did what you did. And maybe not everyone feels that way. Maybe the general public doesn't feel that way. But like anyone who's actually a fan of the character would be like. Well, they just wasted Guy Gardner as like a throwaway character in the in the beginning, and you know they just have these characters thrown in there because their names in the comic, but they don't understand who they are. Your movie doesn't feel like a Green Lantern movie. It feels like someone who kind of Googled names, uh, wrote a pitch for a movie, and just was like, "Well, what if the guy who did Superman made a Green Lantern movie?" Which I know everyone said the effects aren't an argument, so I won't touch on that. Um, but that was a problem I had. And the other thing is, I don't know. I mean. Again, you picked a villain that, like, at least in Superman, they picked Lex Luthor. If you look up the most famous Superman villains, he's number one on every list. So I don't believe that in the 80s, if they're doing a superhero movie, that they wouldn't go with, like, um, Sinestro. Like, that would be the villain. Like, that would be the number one guy. It would be who you chose. Because if you look up top 10 Green Lantern villains, your dude's not in any list. Like, yeah, he's got the white hair and the cool look. And, you know, some Green Lantern fans know who he is. But, like... If you if you were like yeah this takes place in the eighties it's not realistic that they didn't go with just the 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 chalk of you know this is the most famous character this is who people know if you look at you know the the eighty nine Batman has the Joker the original Superman has Lex Luthor they always do in those movies especially then they just pick the most famous bad guy and threw it in there and you're picking like the twentieth most famous bad guy from Green Lantern and throwing it in there it doesn't make any sense. Um, and especially for a Donner movie, which would be like hitting the nail on the head over and over again, like the original Superman, you know, you just based on what's popular. So, uh, your movie doesn't really make sense to me. It doesn't make sense for a Greenland fan. I think it would just actually infuriate people. Maybe the general public likes it better, but people who actually know the comics would be like, they fucking ruined the characters, all three of them. They couldn't just ruin one, like the Ryan Reynolds movie. They had to ruin all three fucking Green Lanterns. Yeah. But as far as like the storyline, I basically you know, took a lot of John Stewart's origin story. And Guy Gardner's still there to come back in a sequel, like, just because if they made a sequel to, just because he's only in the opening doesn't mean, well, Guy Gardner's fucking gone forever. Like, he's back to be used again. Yeah, but while there are storylines with all three of them, um, the best storylines are the ones that it's like, Hal Jordan gave up being Green Lantern, so Guy Guy Gardner became Green Lantern. Or Guy Gardner died, so John Stewart became Green Lantern. Like, the protector of the sector of Earth is usually just one person. It's not all three at once. And again, I, I just don't think you have the understanding of the character to make a good Green Lantern film. Maybe your film has a wider audience at the time it comes out, but my film, I feel like people who actually know the character, people who like it, people who have been clamoring for a decent Green Lantern film would, would flock to mine, especially because the most famous comics that basically brought Green Lantern back from the dead, he was like, since probably the 90s, no one gave a shit about Green Lantern. No one cared about Green Lantern in the 80s. Green Lantern became popular in like 2008 when Jeff Johns made the Blackest Night storyline. So nowadays, I know your movie came out in the 80s, but nowadays, if they're going to make a Green Lantern film, they're going to base it off the, the comic series that brought the character back basically from the dead. And they're going to take one of the most popular characters from that run. But I feel like in 1988 a movie directed by the guy that just did Lethal Weapon that also directed Superman starring Harrison Ford is going to, you know, have interest and have people that go watch it. 
Yeah, everyone wants to see Harrison Ford be Green Lantern and just like be bored out of his mind. The only characters like like I don't know, I don't I don't see that that working. But aside from that, that's probably not an argument that I need to focus on. The um, I just think I I do think while while Tristan and Bobby have both mentioned the special effects thing, I mean Green Lantern is a character completely built on effects and the style and the space and I don't see that working in your time frame and even if it did work in your time frame and it holds up it would hold up a lot better if it's using motion capture and someone and the other thing I want to address is Atrocitus is a character that is super evil he's a very bad guy mine would focus on him murdering you know the guardians which are beloved characters um, even though you know basically my film would reveal that one stray guardian set the Manhunters to destroy their universe and it wasn't the other guardians, so they're pretty innocent in it. That's why Atrocitus is the villain. Um, The Babadook, what I liked so much about that movie was at the beginning of the film, you feel for the mom and you think the kid is evil. And then by the end of the film, it kind of flips and you're feeling for the kid and the mom is evil. I want to do that to Atrocitus. At the beginning... He's a character that's been through trauma. You kind of are rooting for him. And then as the film goes on, it builds and builds and builds. And you're like, this dude's a bad guy. Like, he is a very evil person. Um, and I think that's that's why I chose my director, and I think it works. I think you chose your director just because they made a successful superhero movie. And I chose a director that can actually show the character traits of the character that I chose that fits. All right, uh, John, you've been going on for a bit. So I want to give Joe just a last chance to give us a defensive movie. Give yourself, uh, you know, 30 seconds and just tell us why yours is the is better movie than John's. Johnny's. Yeah. John's. <laughs> like, uh, yeah, but like my, super, him directing Superman wasn't even the original reason why I chose him. Like the original reason why I chose him was I wanted like that cop somewhat dynamic. And then I, you know, wanted Richard Donner. And then I remembered after I, you know, decided to go that direction that he did direct Superman, so it was just an added bonus. And I feel like what you're saying of, like, my villain wasn't that popular. I think part of what makes villains popular is their use outside of, you know, comics and stuff and, like, in shows and in movies. And I feel like using a villain, he would have then become popular being used in other media outside of just comics themselves. All right, Bobby, do you have any thoughts on these two pitches and arguments that we've got going on for a bit? Yeah, I mean, personally, I'm glad that you're making the final all because uh, I'm I'm pretty split. Um, Johnny's clearly very passionate about the comics and about keeping it true to that story and all that. But as far as just watching an entertaining movie, um, and I am a big fan of Green Lantern, but especially since Joe's is set in the 80s, I'm not too set on ruining the character in that if they put out a fun 80s movie, um, that does Green Lantern well enough to get him into the pop culture. That's all I really care about. So I really like Joe's pitch as a buddy cop, fun Green Lantern movie. The effects do push it down a little bit because it's a little it's limited on what it can do, but I think Richard Donner could pull it off at the time um, to make it work well enough. But Johnny's is a very intriguing story, uh, definitely dark, um, but I don't know if it's the right time to do a villain-focused Green Lantern movie. Um, because I'd rather see them get a Green Lantern right. So whether it's Hal Jordan, whether it's Jon Stewart, whether it's Guy Gardner, get that right first before you can dive into that. So I think I'm like leaning Joe, but I liked both pitches quite a bit. Uh, and I'm, uh, you know, I'm just glad I'm not making the final call. Yeah, I wish I wasn't making the final call because I think both have good points. Obviously, if I was a big comic book diehard 
uh, genius of Green Lantern lore, I'd probably be all over Johnny's movie. But I don't even know who that villain is. And <laughs> I know barely anything about Green Lantern other than what I've seen in like animated movies and random times I've read some comic book issues. But if I'm looking at this from the outside and I want to know which I'm going into, I like Joe's because I know Richard Donner has a track record of taking superheroes that seemed uh, ahead of the time kind of in effects wise. He really made us believe Superman could fly. He really made us believe that Superman was an alien with powers. Even if it looks kind of cheesy, he was able to build the tone around that effect and make it kind of be within character of the movie. So I would like to see Joe's movie. I do think Johnny's feels faithful to the comics, but I think kind of like Bobby said, we're not ready for this kind of movie yet. I think we need to establish Green Lantern in the movie sphere before we do this. People saw this, but it was bombed. It, it got terrible reviews, even when it came out, and it's not really talked about now. So I think your first step is to establish Green Lantern into the kind of core of comic book movies. And I think Joe giving it to Richard Donner, setting it in the 80s, makes it potentially the movie that would put Green Lantern on the map the same way that Superman kind of put Superman and all comic book movies on the map. So I'm going to attest to uh, Bobby's endorsement of Joe. Despite Johnny's anger, clearly, if you've been watching the stream video, he's not happy with this choice. As a big, you still won. This is, so. this is the, worst, the worst judging call of all time Johnny, you are, you already won and you and as a big green i Lantern already fan, won and this is like, the worst call yeah. ever like i just, get it it's as it's, 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 i get it's, it's down to we made a rule about a villain's perspective and i chose a villain that's popular joe's yeah. about to use it for the fucking phantom and if you choose his you lose <laughs> like you're bad at this job so whatever like do your thing guys but you're fucking wrong and you're dumb all right, well, aside from that, let's move on to the last movie. Yeah, um, we got one movie less. Yeah. Let's see how we go. Joe's got to win this to avoid getting a repeater rule. But if Johnny wins, he gets to repeat a rule off the list next time he faces Joe. So how that works is like we had seven rules this week. So if next time Johnny and Joe face each other, Johnny hates one of his rules or he really likes one of them, he can decide to remove one of the rules and replace it with one of the other rules on the list. So if Johnny wins, he gets that. Joe's got to defend his his lack of a repeater rule. If he loses, Johnny's got that over him next time they face. And what's the last movie? The Phantom. All right. Where, who are we going first, Joe? I won. Or Joe Johnny. One, because you guys are fucking morons. I'm going to go first because I don't give a shit anymore. I'm just going to read my movie and make this quick. I don't care. Joe sucks. Um, I'm doing The Phantom. Woohoo. Yeah. I we got to uh, get the give the rundown first, but oh yeah, do your thing. Yeah, nineteen ninety six is the Phantom, forty three percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Like I said, it's a movie I didn't know anything about until recently. If you don't know much about it, Billy Zane stars as Kit Walker, the latest in a line of heroes known as the Phantom, whose powers are drawn from the ancient skulls. Now, the Phantom's enemies, the pirates of the Sang Brotherhood, have a new ally. The Ruthless Sander Drax. The Phantom originated as a daily newspaper comic in 1936, so he predates many of the genres and tropes we see today. Even Batman, he was kind of the first out of the gate of the superhero concept. So what do you guys got for one of the OG heroes, The Phantom? All right, so The Phantom is someone like Jonah Hex, but um, 
more so to the point that no one gives a shit about, no one's cared about. Um, that's why the movie failed in the 90s. Um, this character is dead. No one cares. He's bad. Um, so I'm making mine a foreign film. My director is Yun Sang Ho, who is probably most famous for Train to Busan, but he did the first, probably the first international superhero film, but definitely the first Korean superhero film, which was called Psychokinesis. So I don't really name my characters. The main character is named Kit. That's a dumb name. So my old phantom is going to be Choi Min Sik, uh, who is an uh, old boy. Um, and he is the uh, the devil in I Saw the Devil. My young phantom is going to be played by uh, Les Jahoon, who's in a great uh, little film on Netflix called Time to Hunt. And I have uh, my villain is going to be uh, Rama, uh, which I know in the original movie they went with some weird villain that's not actually uh, a villain. Um, but mine is going to be based on a character that is the only famous villain of the phantom, and his name is Rama, so I'm basing it off him. That's going to be played by Don Lee, who was in Train to Busan and the gangster to cop the devil, and he's going to be in The Eternals. And he's a badass. He's fucking cool. And then I have a character named Young Sun. That's going to be played by Jung, Jung Ji So, who is the girl in Parasite that is being tutored uh, by the sun. So here's my film. The film starts off with a meeting at the lair of drug kingpin Rama. He is selling a young girl to another gang, promising she is untouched and a very expensive purchase. They hear a disturbance from the hallway. Rama grab it, grabs a gun and says, I've been waiting for this. Cut to a man in a purple costume fighting armed guards and taking them out on his way to the main room. After taking out a wave of thugs, he reaches the door leading to Rama. He opens it and sees Rama holding a gun to the girl's head. Well, if it isn't the legendary phantom, I thought he'd be bigger. The phantom tells him to let her go and he will leave. Rama says, why would I, why would I want you to do that? He throws the girl off to the side and charges at the phantom. The two fight, and it's clear Rama is much more powerful. The phantom is beaten down and looks over to see a helpless girl hiding in the corner of the room. Uh, he says, close your eyes. She does, and he throws a marble that explodes like a flashbang. He grabs the girl and jumps out of the window, but Rama fires shots, and one hits the phantom in the back. They manage to get away. The phantom asks the girl what her name is. She says it's Young Sun. The man came and killed her parents and kidnapped her and planned to sell her to the very evil men. They return to the phantom's home where his son rushes over to, with a panicked look. Dad, what are you wearing? What happened? The father explains to the son that he is the phantom and he will not make it through the night. He needs his son to take up the mantle to protect Young Sun. Rama puts a $10 million bounty on the head of the phantom. The film cuts between the new phantom protecting Young Sun um, and fighting off bounty hunters and gangsters trying to kill uh, both him and Young Sun and scenes of the father and son training together. Um, you don't know why exactly. He never knew why he was training, um, but his dad was the phantom. He's preparing him for that role in case he ever uh, lost his life. Um, it ends with Rama kidnapping Young Sun and the phantom having to sneak into his lair taking out henchmen and eventually having a badass fight with Rama. Because the one thing that I know Don Lee can do is have badass fight scenes. So that's my movie. Alright. I like the movie. Oh, very Johnny Pitch. Yeah. Let's see what Joe's got for this. Alright, so my director is uh, Mia DaCosta. She directed the movie Little Woods and she's set to direct Captain Marvel 2. Uh, my Kit Walker, uh, played by Taron Egerton. My Xander Drax, originally played by Treat Williams, now going to be played by Idris Elba. And so I, 
everyone's figured out by now from my version of the Phantom. I'm making it, you know, an action dramedy and telling it from the villain's perspective. Uh, Xander Drax is a high-profile African businessman. When he learns that the hero of Africa isn't an immortal being, but a douchey white frat boy, Kit Walker, who inherited the role, Xander decides to kill Kit and take on the role of the Phantom for himself. Uh, during one confrontation between Phantom and Xander, a uh, boy's home is attacked by the villainous Python. The two fight, and Python and to fight Python, and Xander throws him off a cliff. Uh, the boys praise Xander, and Xander tells Phantom that this is what the boys need, a face that looks like theirs to look up to. Uh, Xander is driven mad by his desire to be the Phantom, and begins stalking Kit Walker. Kit eventually takes out Xander, but ultimately uh, he knows that Xander has a point, and the movie ends with Kit adopting and training all of the boys in the boys' home to be the next Phantoms, and that's my pitch. All right. Interesting pitches from both of you guys. I want to hear some arguments, but I do want to get to Bobby's thoughts. What are you thinking for the Phantom? Um, I mean, I don't have really any questions. I kind of need to hear him just kind of just fight it out. I need to hear maybe a little bit more on Joe's because Johnny was, Johnny's was a longer pitch and Joe's was a little bit shorter, but I mean, that's fine. It's a solid premise. So yeah, I don't really care that much about the Phantom. I saw it when I was younger and it was a weird corny movie. Um, so I just kind of want to hear why you're, how you're going to make this unknown, uh, character relevant or at least entertaining. Uh, so yeah, just, just fight it out pretty much for me. Yeah. I I'm feeling similar. I don't know the Phantom at all. I haven't seen the movie, but I watched a nice YouTube video about it. And I read a random comic of the Phantom that I found on like Google images that I read <laughs> to get an idea of what his comic book strip is like. But I also want to hear you guys fight it out because I don't have very many questions but like Bobby said, Joe uh, needs some more time to talk. So let's start with Joe. Why is your Phantom movie bad and Johnny's terrible? Why is mine bad or why is mine not bad? <laughs> why is yours not bad? Okay. Explain uh, why Johnny's said, is bad. It is bad. He already explained that. So basically my thing was uh, I watched the original Phantom movie like two or three days ago. I'm like, this sucks. Uh, I read like two or three comics. I'm like, these are also fucking not good. And basically the one main problem I saw throughout all of them is like, you have this hero of Africa as a white guy. So I'm like, how, like, I, I want to do something with this. I already have figured out the rule of, you know, telling it from the villain's perspective. Cause I'm like, this is a character nobody really cares about. So if you get kind of the first, you know, movie in a franchise that's like this, or just a movie in the world of the Phantom, no one's really going to care that, oh, the fan why was the Phantom not the lead? It's like a movie no one cares about. Let's tell it from the villain's perspective. Um, and so I feel like mine takes, like, an interesting take on that idea of, like, this hero of Africa is, like, this white guy, you know, that inherited this role. So that's what I did. And I yeah, and I took out all the shit that dealt with Africa because that shit's dumb. So, okay, the Phantom is a dead hero. No one cares. Not at all. Jonah Hex is more popular than this guy. If you looked at popularity, it's probably a million more times like the, the Jonah Hex fans and the Phantom. All those old fuckers are dead at this point. So here's here's my thing. What what you could do with this is make it a foreign film and basically sell it as something new. You base it off something that was like, oh, this old Americana bullshit, but you don't need that audience to, to see your film. Um, and I think that helps. You don't have Taron Edgerton playing an African white dude and all this nonsense no one cares about your villain no one knows who he is um apparently it doesn't help your movie if people actually care about the villain but no one cares about your villain um at all and no one cares about your movie it sounds boring it sounds bad 
and mine sounds good. Mine's going to be an action film with uh, people that are cool. I know Joe loves Don Lee. is his favorite character in Train to Busan, so I know he probably watched this movie. Um, the other thing with it is, I, I think with mine, you it's basically a setup to have another Korean action like superhero movie, which you've only really ever had one. The Phantom, I think you could take characters like the Shadow and the Phantom and repopularize them by basically erasing some of the history um, and just rebranding them as something new. And and that's what my movie does, whereas Joe's still plays to what people don't care about. No one cares about the Phantom. No one cared about it in the 90s because this character was probably dead by the 50s. Like The Phantom was important in the 30s because he established, okay, this is where people wear skin-tight suits. This is you know, the only superhero without any powers. Um, and that kind of was very inspirational to, especially Batman. It was inspirational to the look of Superman. Um, but after that, like the character just died once better characters were created. So if you make this an American movie, no one gives a shit. This movie sucks. Um, so make it a Korean film and make it so no one actually knows the backstory and they think it's something new. I think it's the only way that you can make this character interesting. It's the only way that I would ever go see it. If you said the, the fucking kid from um, Kingsman was going to be an African superhero, but like Idris Elba, who's like 85, is going to be the villain. I'm like, like yeah, sounds terrible. Yeah, he's like 60. So that sounds terrible. I don't care. Um, and my movie sounds good, and it's going to have fun action. Your movie sounds like total shit. He's like 48, first of all. Um, yeah, 60. No. Yeah, how about we can we get like uh, so Joe, you can defend that and then make like fi- uh, final thoughts. I, I and then if there's anything this else, should be you need so obvious. Movie, Joe shouldn't even yeah. need to say anything else. We're already so, at nine. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I I think we're pretty much leaning in a direction. I just want to give some final thoughts here. Yeah, good fucking. Yeah, so basically, yeah. So basically, my thing is like he's talking about how like no one cares about uh, the Phantom. No one's gonna see my movie. I think adding a foreign element to that is just gonna make people less interested in the Phantom, that people really aren't going to care or really aren't going to see it. Uh, people in South Korea definitely don't care about the Phantom. So I think exactly, because they don't know who it is, so they don't know it's based off anything, and that's the only and way. No one here it. knows what it is or that it's based off anything either, so I just think it's a, it, you could, it's a different dynamic and a different type of movie that I haven't seen before, so I think they're interested, interested in it. Sure, they will. All of your points against mine, if no one caring, I feel like goes for yours too. No one cares. No, because mine can be sold as, hey, you know the guy who did Train to Busan? Here's a new fun action movie. Yours is going to be sold as fucking, you know, that, like, I don't know, that Kingsman movie, that one thing that Taron Edgerton did. He's also Rocket Man. That was bad. And then, you know, here, he's African now. There you go. He's a frat boy pretending to be African. The only thing you really, I think that I think the Phantom has some cool things, and I think the coolest thing is the Phantom is a guy with no powers whose legacy lives on as the ghost that can never die because it's someone passing down the superhero to another generation. I think that is cool, and I think if you do that in a Korean film, where yeah, no one understands the character, no one knows that's a real thing, but. That idea is cool, and you can build off that. All right, I think we've got enough argument yeah. on this one. One last yeah, question so. for you, Joe. Is your white frat guy named Ralph Boner? Uh, <laughs> if you want him to be, he can be. If that helps. It might, might, might be enough to win either point, but maybe not, because I am leaning towards uh, 
Well, I'm kind of, I was split at first because we did give Joe a lot of shit for making a movie about a villain we don't know about when we already don't have the hero. So I'm, from my uh, perspective, I know Bobby's going to make the last call. I am ultimately leaning towards Johnny because I think Joe made the bad call by making this a villain movie. We, I gave, I gave Johnny a knocking for doing his Green Lantern movie. And if he told me there was a Phantom movie about some other villain that he fought that we don't know about, I'd be like, wait, who the fuck is a Phantom? Who is this villain guy? What's going on in this movie? But if he told me there's a Korean action movie based off of some like old classic serial superhero, I'd be like, all right, I'm in. I don't care if he's, oh, what's the origin story? Oh, is he DC? Is he Marvel? What is he? I'd just be like, oh, it's a Korean superhero action movie. That sounds pretty awesome. So I'd be down for that with Johnny. And I think that's kind of faithful to the character too, which is like this throwback kind of character, especially in the 90s movie. He was also kind of like a throwback to old school movies. So I think making him like a throwback action kind of character is the best way to go. But Bobby makes the final call. So what are you feeling, Bobby? Yeah, I mean, I was I was trying not to play my hand too much, but this one was pretty much a runaway for me. Um, I think Johnny's actually made a, a good movie and Joe's sounds average at best. Um, I think Johnny played to the audience that he was going for. I mean, I don't think, you know, the argument of it's not for American audiences. Well, I mean, the ones that like South Korean action movies, they're going to like it. And it's not for them. It's, you know, for someone who doesn't know who the character is and you have a cool concept to make an action movie. Um, and Joe's I, I, using a villain perspective on a villain that we don't care about it just didn't really intrigue me too much. So um, that one wasn't too close. And I'm going to give Johnny the win and the repeater rule for the next time these two face off. Dangerous given Johnny a repeater rule. Cool. Can't wait to uh, vote on your guys' movies next week and be like, no one cares about this civilian. Why don't we see the hero? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fucking I feel like, idiots, morons. I feel like... You guys, you guys fucking ruled so poorly on that rule that Joe was automatically going to lose that one. So I knew I'd win. No, that but like that, that no was shit. My like you, but... you picked seven movies. We've already seen the Joker, which was a movie from the villain's perspective, and we've already seen so much Magneto. How many other of these movies have an established enough character to tell a Green fucking Lantern story from the villainous perspective? Nobody Jonah knows who that villain loses is. if you do a villain's perspective. The Phantom loses if you do a villain's perspective. Um, let's see, Constantine loses if you do a villain's perspective, and Venom was ruled out. So there was really no way to win that rule if you guys ruled it based on that. And I think that's such fucking bullshit. I'm still pissed about it. All right. Well, yeah, just to be just to be clear, Joe did Joe did not lose that rule because of that. That just didn't sound like an interesting. No, but he, he wouldn't have won based on it. If he had won based on it, he would have lost. Like it's just. Yeah, you, can't, I, you can't create a rule and then base it off of, well, this uh, villain, you know, the villain. You have Batman and Robin. You shouldn't have had the, yeah, and we've already had a Batman the greatest movie with a villain's perspective. The whole characters we had one movie. Books. You can't make a rule and then be, and then fucking rule it like that. I'm pissed about that. And Joe should be too. Even though he's lost based on like, other reasons, that's bullshit. I, I, me and Johnny don't really agree on much, but I feel like part of the problem, especially with that rule, is it's either like, at least with this crop of movies, it's either like um, no one, like people have wanted to see a movie from the hero's perspective for so long, so then you're kind of fucked that way, or it's like people have, or 
we already have like a movie from the villain's perspective like Venom. like i was looking through this list and i'm and basically that was my thought process to use it for the phantom is kind of like why i didn't use it for green lantern or another movie is because i'm like no one really cares if we get a phantom movie either so i'm like if we get a basically xander drax focused movie like no one's gonna be upset or angry because there are zero phantom fans or at least with johnny's i understand why he was ruled against because it's like people um like i feel like if he went sinestro or another maybe more popular villain but still i feel like people want a green lantern movie so people are going to be mad that they don't get a green lantern movie so, yeah, I don't, know. I, think, I, I don't. I don't think you can make a rule that's like that and then rule against it based on the rule. Yeah, like, I think we that, um, that handicaps you to do it. I'm yeah. not going to hold you guys. You can use the civilians' perspective, which is going to be on next week. Spoiler alert for any movie you want, and I'm not going to hold yeah. it against you that you did it for a popular character that people want to see. Like, do it based the rule and do the pitch based on that rule. I'm not going to hold it against you that you did it depending on what movie you did. Like the other character shouldn't matter. It's about the villain. And I chose it an actual yeah. villain. No, Johnny, j- just to be clear, and we're, we should wrap up too, but um, at least on my perspective, I think that was overemphasized as being like the reason, but it was just a reason to point out, like as to as I was thinking about it, why I would have liked the other movie better. Like Joe's, it didn't matter what rule compared because I think you're, you made a good Phantom movie and that's hard to do. And Joe's just sounded like the Phantom again, but a little little twist on who you're telling it from, which didn't doesn't sound too interesting. And then, as far as the Green Lantern one, it was more that Joe's buddy cop sounded more interesting to me, and I had to ding you on something to try to get the point across. But, you know, as far as from me, that's not the reason that you guys lost. But I think you know, that was legitimately the worst decision ever made on this show, judging wise. You won, but you won, awards, you did won. won, you won five two, you got a repeater rule, and I think this was a, a, a fun episode, even though it was lopsided to start. Um, but Tristan, if you want to wrap us up and we can... Yeah, Johnny can yeah. stay as mad as he wants. He's already won, so he got that. He's got to repeat a rule for Joe whenever they face next, so he Today has that. Too. Yeah, you've got a bunch of repeater rules. No, you, wouldn't got a repeater rule. you, you wouldn't have got a repeater rule based on our new rules. All you would have gotten is to pick whatever movie we start with next. So um, I'd be cool with that, too. That would have been cool. Yeah. Should have won 7 nothing. Yeah, if you guys like the show, you can watch us live. We're on YouTube live. We we've had a couple problems the last few weeks of get, of dropping our feed, so we're gonna try and work on that and get that up for you guys. If you want to watch us on repeat or listen to the audio, you can find it on YouTube, you can find it on Twitch, or you can look on your favorite podcast app, Spotify, Apple, iTunes, whatever you listen to on, we might be on there. Just type in movie change up and see if we're there. All right, Bobby, you were my consultant judge this week. So how did you feel about the episode? How did you feel about the comic book theme? Um, I thought it was a fun episode. I mean, comic book movies tend to have good debates. I think we had some good fights, even though Johnny took kind of a commanding lead to start. Uh, I enjoyed hearing both their pitches. Um, and yeah, I'm looking forward to doing this next week. Tristan, we're, we're facing off, doing the same concept. Uh, seven new movies, seven new rules. But um, yeah, I hope it's another fun uh fun show like this one yeah when i beat you next week i'm not gonna then complain about the rules in the episode that i already won on so let's get to the guy who just did that all right johnny you won congratulations you're still undefeated you're now three and oh in the new season of movie change up how do you feel why did you not do a villain perspective on jonah hex (laughs) oh because you guys would have said oh that's not an established enough character to do a villain on so um here's my thing I treat all of my pitches like they're my children. And if you guys pick against me, you're murdering my children. And I take 
personal offense to that. So I will always fight back on that because you killed my children. So thank you, child murderers, judges. Um, and and here's my thing. Joe's best pitch of the night was Batman and Robin. I thought that was phenomenal. It was a tough one to fight. I thought both of our pitches were great. Um, yep. And and it came down to personal preference. If, if other people were judging and they wanted to see an action movie, I would have won. You guys wanted to see a detective movie, so Joe won. I, th- I think that's what it came down to, but that was a hard one to fight because I would have fucking been first in line to see Joe's movie. Um, so, Joe, congrats on that. Other than that, um, I yeah, I recommend the show Warrior to anyone. That show's fucking cool as shit. I just finished season one. The show's cool. Um, and if you like hand-to-hand combat like me, go for it. Um, we are going to try to do Age of Ultron watch-along on Sunday... No, Saturday at 12. The problem with this is maybe we don't need to do it on Streamlabs. Uh, stream we can do it back on StreamYard. Then we can actually stay online. But who knows? We'll see. Noon, Saturday, Age of Ultron Watch Along. We'll see if that holds up. Noon Eastern. Um, and if you uh, told that from a villain's perspective, you know, probably Black Widow wasn't going to be... Uh, um, developed enough as a character to uh, do that, so we'll see. All right, well, just if you like, guys want to follow yeah. us on social media, you can see me posting every single one of these movies from the villain's perspective. So go on there and follow <laughs> us on TikTok or Twitter, and I'll be posting a pitch for every single one of these. And I will tear like, them down. Like Johnny said, we're going to try and do Age of Ultron uh, live watch this weekend. So stop by our YouTube and our Twitch if you want to see that. Otherwise, we'll be back next week with another comic book special where me and Bobby are going to take each other on and fight to the death over comic book movies, and none of them will be from the villain's perspective. Thanks for watching, guys, and we'll see you next week. Yeah, fuck you, Joe.